and say that this school would not be here if it wasn't for his vision and his willingness to step out um, and, and to, to help to put, this to, to put this together. And so he is a, a man that just steps out of faith time after time after time. And you know, we call, we heard Dan say, Smiling Dan. Well, this is Smiling Don, and he <laughs> smiles a lot. That says a lot for a senior pastor, <laughs> okay? He really does, and he's gonna just share with us and just be blessed today. Pastor Don. Wow, bless the Lord. Thanks, sir. Okay, cool. Cool, everybody doing okay? It's an amazing day. Thankful to the Lord for his, uh, just a lot of neat stuff that's going on. I want to just share a couple of things with you. Um, I'll share this. This is kind of cool. I had a a really good time yesterday. Um, If you were here Sunday, some of you were here Sunday. I know a lot of you weren't. You have different places to be and whatever. But on Sunday, I was preaching. The message was called Discerning the Voice of God and talking about that we all have the ability to hear God and how sometimes in different levels we hear God can I say this? I'll just talk to you real plain. I'm a very transparent guy, so you guys will get used to that. We'll talk about a whole bunch of different things. But like in a church service, I can, man, I could run conventions and church services and all kind of things because, I don't know, it seems in certain arenas you have a greater ability to hear God. Does that make sense? Like it's like it's easier for me in, a, in the flow of a church service to know this is what God's doing. And if you're part of Harvest Chapel family, you'll know like during the middle of worship, oftentimes I'll just step into the middle of worship and start directing the service because God is opening up a door. There's an avenue that's opening it up and you can just see it. But, you know, different times, maybe it's been, you know, there's like, man, there's, there's a bunch of people just dealing with depression or suicide or whatever, you know, and it's the, there's a freedom and a liberty right there to be set free. And you hear God real clear in that. Um, one of the things that has always been a, a heart cry for me has been that, uh, like, I'll be out to dinner, and it'll be, like, with Todd or Ryan or somebody, and the waitress will be there, and they'll be talking to the waitress, and, and they'll get, like, this, like, wow, you have, you, you're a dancer, aren't you? And you have artistic measures in you, and, and, and God's using you in that way, and the waitress will be, like, freaking out, like, how do you know that? Like, I go to dance school twice a week, and I'm, I, I, and I got paintings all over my wall. How do you know that? You know, it's because Jesus loves you, and he wants to speak to your heart, you know, and I've seen that happen, and I'm like, oh, I want that. <laughs> so, so, so it's been a heart cry for me, and I've been asking God about that, and then Sunday morning, I preached on the idea of, that we all have the ability to hear God, and I believe that. I believe that every one of us, uh, call it what you want to, but if you're born again, Jesus lives in you. He talks a lot. You should hear him. You okay with that? So there's ways that we should be hearing the Lord. We were, Lori and I were here yesterday quite a bit, and back and forth, different things, and, and I met her here later on in the evening, and it was about eight o'clock, and I had to go into Lowe's to order some fencing for the twos and three-year-olds that we're going to put, we're going to put them in a fence. Never mind. Okay, okay. But, but, but uh, we're, we're actually trying to get a, a playground area out back behind, behind the church on this side of the church. But anyway, in the process of that, uh, what we're doing, um, we were going to Lowe's and right in front of Lowe's is Perkins. And if you don't know it, Perkins has world famous chicken noodle soup. Uh, it is absolutely amazing. And we hadn't eaten. And I said, man, let's stop getting a bowl of soup and a chicken quesadilla because life is good if you have chicken noodle soup and a chicken quesadilla. So we ended up in there and we're sitting there and there's a waitress named Laura who comes by and she's just a real sweet girl and she's kind of real bubbly. And the Lord speaks to my heart and said, she's a music teacher. 
and I've never had that before. And it like freaked me out. I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm thinking, is this you, God? Who's done that? I just preached. And watch this. I preached this Sunday. This is Monday night, 8 o'clock. Everybody okay? But uh, I'm hearing this real clear. And we, we were laughing with her and talking with her. And it's never unusual for me to pray with waitresses. I pray with waitresses all the time, talk with them, share with them, just pray with them, bless them. But uh, I don't get this. And this happened. So uh, she took our order and she left. And it's like messing with me. I don't even say anything to Lori. I'm just like, I'm just... This is really in my head. She comes back around. She's talking to the table over here. She comes back over to us. Everything okay? And I hear this again, like, she's a music teacher. And, and I'm thinking, no, she's a waitress. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but it's in my heart. So I need that. And I'm thinking, I, I, this, this is you, God. I'm thinking, this is so, like, I know this is him now. There's that place where you take that step, right? She leaves. Okay. So I'm thinking when she comes back, I, I've got to say something. And I know she's coming back because she has to give you that little paper that pays your bill, you know. Uh, so I know she's going to come back. And uh, when she comes back, she says, is there anything else I can get for you? I said, yeah. I said, I've got to ask you something. I said, uh, are you in school to be a teacher? And she looked at me and she goes, yeah, how did you know that? I'm like, yes, it is good. <laughs> it's, like, it's like so cool. And, and, and I, I held my composure. <laughs> and she's like, and, she's like, uh, and, and she's, she says to me, she said, yeah. She said, how did you know that? I said, because Jesus loves you. And I said, I was praying for you. And he told me that. And she said, I go to Shepherd's University. I said, that's a good name. (laughs) So I'm thinking Shepherd's University. Jesus has a lot to do with shepherds. And we got talking a little bit back and forth. It's down near Harper's Ferry in West Virginia. And she's home for the summer. And we got talking, just asked her some questions. Got a chance to pray for her. But here's what's exciting to me is once the door is cracked open, you have all the ability in the world to step through it. And you can start to walk in that on a regular basis. I'm convinced that you're here in a school right now for the next couple, well, about, about probably 10 more weeks yet, uh, where doors are going to be open for you. It's up to you with what you do with it. You okay with that? Because I believe that everything that you're getting right now is not for right now. It's for the rest of your life. You okay with that? Like, that's just fun. So I'm really excited about what God's doing in me. And here's the deal. 30 years in the ministry, and yet God's still opening new doors and expanding. There's never a place where you got it all. There's never a place where, okay, I'm there or I've arrived. It's a constant climbing, and we're always moving and going forward. And that's got to be the will and the heart of every one of us, okay? So, so I, I want to get started with this. There's some things that are in my heart, uh, and we'll talk about I'm not even, uh, I'll say this, um, we're just going to fly with this today and have fun. Uh, I'll guarantee you we'll have a good time. I don't know where I'll we're going to get, but we're going to have a good time. But there's some things that really are in my heart and in my spirit right now, and I just kind of want to share that. Um, Let's just pray. Can we do that? It's just really in my heart to do this. Father, we're just going to say thank you. What an amazing day. What a privilege we have just to be called the sons and daughters of the Most High God. I believe that you're up to something amazing, and this is probably the absolute most incredible time on planet Earth to be alive and walking in your kingdom. And we just invite you to come in a special way this morning, that the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon us individually and corporately as we learn and grow from the things, Lord, that you want to pour into us. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now. Come, touch us, each one. 
Father, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you. Come and speak to us individually and corporately that the power of heaven might rest upon us, that we would grow, that we would have discernment in our own hearts, in our own spirits, Lord, the things that you're speaking to us. Because even as you speak to us corporately, I believe that you speak to every one of us individually. And you have centralized messages for all of us to grow from. So, God, I'm asking you to help us to grow today in wisdom and understanding. And, Lord, that our identity would be strengthened even in a greater capacity in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Who do you think you are? That's a rough question, isn't it? Who's ever heard that? Who do you think you are? Sometimes people say that. I was going to actually start out by just walking up here and yell that. Okay. <laughs> but I thought, now nah, freak him out. Okay. <laughs> but, but the idea is, is that's, a, that's a very powerful question. Who do you think you are? Probably how you respond to that question will define the rest of your life. Who do you think you are? Go to Proverbs 23 and 7, okay? Because it's a really neat verse. Let's go there. Uh, and I wanna, we're going to talk about this just for a few minutes, and then we'll get somewhere else. But I want to start with that. I think that's really in my heart to go there. Proverbs, let's go to 23, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's verse 7. It is, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's, some, there's some very special verses right here. That I want you to see this. But we're just going to look actually at just one verse. He says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'm just going to stop with that part of it. It's just the front part of the verse. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The definition on this is kind of special, but I, I won't even get into all of that. What I want to talk to you about is this. He didn't say as he thinketh in his head. He said as he thinketh in his heart. I can tell you that the body of Christ is full of cranial knowledge. You can have an understanding of how things work. And you can, can I say this? You can even believe that it works for somebody else. But if you don't believe that it works for you, it won't. Do you understand what I just said? See, education is an amazing thing. So for 13 weeks, you'll sit in this school and you'll learn all kinds of things. And I got to tell you something. You're sitting under probably what I believe is one of the most prolific teachers on the planet. I think Pastor Dan's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, people have asked me, though, who's your favorite teacher? And I'm stuck between Bill Johnson and Pastor Dan. And I put them on the same level. And there's not too many people that I put on that level. But I really believe that they both have incredible teaching gifts. In the process of that, with Pastor Dan doing as much of the teaching in this school as he's going to, uh, I think that it's an absolute amazing opportunity to learn incredible, incredible stuff. But if you look at him and see him as a gifted man and an anomaly on the earth, it's for him and not for you. You'll never get anywhere, even though your head gets filled up with all kind of good stuff. Because he didn't say, as a man thinketh in his head, so is he. He said, as a man thinketh in his heart. What's the difference? There comes a place where everything shifts about 18 inches from here to here. And when it gets in your heart, you own it. Do you understand what I just said? Because that's like amazing stuff right there. You've got to declare ownership of what you're receiving, that it's not just for somebody else. I got to tell you, I do a lot, a lot of counseling. I've been in ministry for a long time. I do a lot, a lot of counseling. People come from all over and we sit and we talk. And I've watched people over and over say the same thing. I know that's what the Bible says, but who's ever heard that? 
Come on, you've heard people say that. I know that's what the Bible says, but look, this is my, and all of a sudden now my life is defining my, my, my doctrine rather than the word of God defining who I am. Do you understand what I just said there? There's a powerful lesson in that is that we have to understand all the things that you're getting right now, all the things that you're receiving are for your benefit to take with you the rest of your life. But the only way you'll take them with you the rest of your life is when you transfer them from here to here. I got to tell you that probably about 10 years ago in my life, um, a whole bunch of things shifted for me. And we'll talk, I'll tell you a lot about how we got where we are and some of the things that are going on today. But um, about 10 years, up until about 10 years ago, maybe, maybe a little more than that, but probably close to about 10 years ago, um, I, I always had a, I've always had a shepherd's heart. God's done amazing things in my life as a young man. And, and, and I think that probably defines a lot of who I am. But what happened was uh, about 10 years ago, God shifted a whole bunch of things for me. And I went from preaching a gospel of salvation to preaching a gospel of the kingdom. And, and I didn't know there was a difference up until then. But there's a whole lot more. And I began to see the ministry of Jesus Christ. Can I help you with this? If somebody said, can you define the ministry of Jesus Christ in one word? I would say the one word would be restoration. Because I believe that Jesus came to restore everything that Adam lost. And if I begin to see everything from that viewpoint, what Adam had in the garden before the fall is now the privilege of every one of us because Jesus became a curse for us to remove the curse from us. Everybody okay with what I just said? That's, that is defining in my heart. So he came to restore. There's a restoration. And I began to see things a whole lot differently. And the shifting took place. And I began to study... And I want to say this, I began to study as much as I could uh, from a kingdom viewpoint and start to understand things. But here's what happened. For probably a year and a half during that, during that season in my life, I was studying and studying and getting a whole lot here, but I wasn't seeing the experience of it because it hadn't shifted to here. I don't know if everybody would understand that. I hope some of you get that. But the key to that is, is that once you get it in your heart, and this is what I want to talk to you about today, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You've got to believe, and I'm going to say this, but you've got to believe that you actually have the power to raise the dead. Because you'll never pray for a dead person until you believe it's going to change. And then when you do, you've got to believe that when you're praying, it will change. Everybody okay? Who's ever seen a short leg grow out? Here's the neat thing. I want to talk to you. First time I ever prayed for a person with a short leg, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, and it grew out. I think God blessed me just for my own sake. I'm not sure, okay, because I'd like to tell you I'm a man of faith and power, but the fact is it was kind of like that waitress thing. That waitress was freaked out that I knew about her. She was not near as freaked out as I was, okay, <laughs> like I was totally freaked out, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, <laughs> okay, but watch it. This one just, that was last night, but several years ago, I prayed for a lady with a short leg, and I watched it grow out like an inch and a half, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool, but I knew other people who had done it because they had done it I knew it was available if it's available I want it does that make sense if it's available you ought to just want it so you start going for it but here's the deal once the first one grew out the second one was really cool because I was expecting that now it's just normal we're in Mexico Mel was with me Melody was with me and Miranda I think you guys were both there and somebody else was with us because there was three of three of us was it Shadow? Were you there when we prayed for the lady that was, or the guy, the guy, the old man that was blind? Okay, there was, Gabby. it was, Gabby. might have been Gabby. Okay. Um, but what happened was we had a, 
we, we were in Mexico. We took, a, we took a bunch of the youth down to Mexico. And there was an old man that came forward at about the second or third service that we were doing. We were Bill Parks. Um, uh, it was an outreach ministry we were doing. It was pretty amazing. And, and uh, a bunch of people came up for prayer, for salvation, different things. And then we went to pray. This, this old man came up. And, of course, everybody in Mexico, they all speak Spanish. What's up with that? Okay. So, so, so we can't understand. There's an interpreter there named Raphael. And Raphael's our interpreter, and he's Bill Park's right hand. And I said, ask him what's going on, man. Ask him what's going on. And he said, I can't see out of my one eye, my right eye. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Well, you tell him Jesus is Lord, and let's pray. So we all get praying, and we're praying, and he's squinting the whole time. He's blinking his eyes, you know what I mean, he's squinting. And we're praying, and, and what happens is we prayed for a while, and then I told him, I said to the interpreter, I said, ask him, ask him if there's any change. And he starts saying, mas mejor, mas mejor, which I don't know much Spanish, but that means much better. And he's saying, much better, much better. And I went, really? Because <laughs> now, now I'm surprised. I said, now, now faith starts to rise. Let's hit this thing, man, because Jesus, and I'm like, now, what, see, once you start to see the shift, you know what happens? Faith starts rising up in you, and all of a sudden, you become God's man of faith and power. Let's get this thing. And I'm like, Jesus didn't suffer for you to be much better. He suffered for you to be whole. Come here. Okay. <laughs> so, so we're like, we're after this thing. It's a tag, this thing. You know what I mean? So we prayed, what, about three more times? But at the end, they get a Bible, cover his bad eye, and he's reading, or covered his good eye, rather, and he's reading with his bad eye, because it's not a bad eye anymore, and Jesus made him whole, so that's really cool, you know what I mean, but when you see those kind of things, here's what happens, it opens up the door of opportunity, so then we pray for another lady later on, and the same thing happens for her, she's blind in one eye, and she sees, matter of fact, Jonathan was with us the other night, it was me, John, and, and uh, Pastor Rick, up at Hope for the City, and we prayed for a lady, who, the same thing, can't see out of one eye we start praying for and she's saying it's better so we prayed again it's more better and i remember this phrase jesus didn't suffer for you to be better we attack that thing and now all of a sudden she's she's seeing people in the back row that are friends of hers she come they come up and they're hugging and whatever and now she's wiping tears and she's saying oh my gosh i'm crying out of this eye i said what's up she says i haven't had tears in this eye for four years She'd had a stroke, right? She'd had a stroke that settled on the optic nerve. She told us what all went on, and, and Jesus made it all better. Yay, God. So, you know, so there's neat things like that. What I guess I'm telling you is that once the door opens to something, you have the ability to walk through it. See, right now, I don't understand all this, but there's a whole lot of people that have metal in their bodies who are now moving parts that shouldn't move. And we're seeing that on a regular basis in different places. So people that have rods in their back are now touching their toes. I haven't touched my toes for about 20 years. Okay, okay. But, 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 and I don't have any metal in my back. I have a lump in my front. Okay. But anyway. it, it's, it's not my fault. I'm allergic to food. It makes me swell. Okay. Swell right up. I don't know. Okay. But anyway, in the process, here's what the deal is. There's, there's people that have, they got rods in their legs and they, and they shouldn't be able to bend, but they bend. And I can't figure it, and it doesn't even matter. Does the metal disappear? Or does titanium become flexible? I don't know. Doesn't even matter. The fact is, couldn't bend. Now they bend. Yay, God. It's a good day for God, no matter which way it is. You understand? So it's exciting things. Once the doors open, you have the right and the privilege to walk through it. Somebody's pioneered a way for us. We ought to take advantage of it. Does that make sense? 
you're here, you're here for a season of, and you've invested, it's amazing to me, but I think about this, you've invested 13 weeks of your summer to be a part of something that God's doing amazing. Those that are watching by internet are investing three hours a day in, in their nights, and they're working all day and then coming home, and instead of TV, they're doing internet stuff. That's amazing to me. That speaks volumes to me that people are willing to make these kind of sacrifices, but man, we ought to get everything we can out of it. Does that make sense? That's just so my heart. And we go after, and if it's available, why wouldn't we go after it? I'm going to say this, and I, I, I just think there's such a truth to this, but it's up to you and I to model this thing. Because if we don't go after the majesty of this, the world doesn't have a model. Do you understand that? We've got to become the model. I, 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 don't even, I, I almost hate to say this, but because I deal with so many people in the public arena all the time, I've got to tell you, not everybody out there has a good taste for the church in their mouth. I wonder whose fault that is. And some of that is our fault. Some of that's just their perception, and I understand all that. But I really believe that God's up to something amazing on the earth, and he wants to move in folks like you and I. This is a good day. So watch this. I'm going to come back to that verse. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's the way we've quoted it. It actually doesn't even say that. It says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I think in one of the versions it does say, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But I want you to see this and understand. When I said that phrase a little while ago, who do you think you are? That's probably one of the most powerful questions that you can answer for yourself. Who do you think you are? Who's ever seen Jesse Duplantis? I love Jesse Duplantis. Like, I'm going to invite him. Okay, <laughs> okay. But, but, but here's the deal, and I, I, I think it's kind of cool. He's at a believer's convention. They call them believer's conventions. Kenneth Copeland's ministry does those. And uh, he's at a believer's convention, and he goes into... Uh, into an elevator and there's a very fine dressed lady there and they start to have a conversation. I love to have conversations with people in elevators because they can't get anywhere. Okay? <laughs> they can't run away till it stops anyway. But, but here's the deal. As he's talking with her, he begins to speak with her and, uh, and he says, uh, he said, are, are, you, um, are you here at the Believer's Convention? And she says, no, I'm not. And he says, well, are you a believer? She said, I go to church. He said, so does the devil. <laughs> good answer. Is that true or not? Come on. It's a good answer. You know what I mean? And she looked at him and she said, who do you think you are? And he said, how much time you got? <laughs> so he just starts going down. Well, I'm, a, I'm a jewel in his crown. I'm the apple of his eye. You know what I mean? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he starts to tell her who he is according to the word of God. Because what we've done is we've allowed the world to define who we are when God already defined who you are. We've put so many labels on people, it's ridiculous. Labels aren't for people. Labels are for jars. You're not a jar. God's called you who you are. You're defined who you are right here. So we've got to start to think like God thinks. And that's really, I think this, this is what I believe. If you ask me what's my ministry really all about, I'm going to tell you, I really believe that, the, that, that my personal ministry for me is to help people see things differently. I really believe that's what God uses me for, maybe more than anything else, is to change your perspective. Because if we don't see things differently, we'll never respond to things differently. If I'm doing something wrong and somebody, nobody ever tells me that I'm doing it wrong, I'll continue to do it. As a baseball player, played ball, a lot of baseball when I was younger. When I was younger, everything that was here used to be up here and it looked pretty good up here. And I did just a lot. I was extremely athletic when I was a kid played a lot of baseball. But I had a really good friend of mine named Rob Gray. Who's ever heard the phrase batted cow handed? Anybody ever hear that phrase? 
batted cow-handed. That's what we called it. It's a Western Pennsylvania phrase, perhaps. But I'm left-handed, right? So a left-hander bats this way, and you're going to put your left hand over top of your right hand because you're, you're standing in this position. If I put my right hand over my left hand, that would be called batting cow-handed. Okay? Now, Rob Gray was a really good friend of mine. We grew up together. Rob always batted cow-handed. And I would watch him. And he wasn't a very good ball player. And I used to say, you're batting cow-handed. And he didn't understand that, you know, because he was comfortable doing this. Until the time came whenever we were able to sit with him and show him, if you put, he was right-handed, so I had to put his right hand over top of his left hand. And we began to show him that he would do it differently. And after a while, he became very proficient. He was an excellent ball player. But he had to change the way he thought. Does it make sense? If nobody ever told him that he was doing it wrong, he'd have kept doing it that way, thinking it was right. Do you know how long we've done that in the church? Do you know how many things I did wrong for years as a pastor? You know why I did it wrong? Because the people before me did it wrong. I say this all the time in mentoring classes, but I've learned so much more from what I've done wrong than what I've done right. And I've made so many mistakes, I'm starting to get smart. <laughs> it just works for me, okay? But it's really where we're at, man. I'm, I'm going to make a bunch more. I'm going to get really intelligent, okay? <laughs> okay? But the fact is, is that we have to learn from these things. And the idea is, is that there's some people, God's given us some gifts around us that we can learn from. Here's an amazing thing. Every one of us can learn from every one of us. One of the things that Martin Luther really taught, and I think it's pretty cool, Luther's uh, associated with the Reformation and, the, and nailing the thesis in Westminster Abbey. And if you understand church history, you understand that. And if you don't, it's really not all that important. But one of the things that Martin Luther's quoted for is that he was probably one of the strongest teachers of justification by faith, and he was moving the, the Presbyterian Reformation. But what I want to show you this, and I think what's really, really important that we understand is this. In all of Luther's teachings, when they asked him what he felt was probably his most, his most excellent understanding, it wasn't justification by faith. It was the priesthood of believers. And he taught on the priesthood of believers very, very strong at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life. He talked about that. And it comes from 1 Peter 2 and 9. It says, you're a royal priesthood. You are. See, if anybody asks you if you're in full-time ministry, you say, absolutely. And by the way, I work 40 hours a week over at this job but I'm in full-time ministry. Why? Because you're part of a royal priesthood. Do you understand that? I, I constantly have people coming to me saying, man, I want to be in full-time ministry. I say, cool, go get them. Because <laughs> I think you should be. I think you should be. You can be in full-time ministry and work for Sprint. You can be in full-time ministry and be a carpenter or a plumber. I've been a drywaller most of my life. I'm a drywall contractor by trade. But even when I was a drywaller, I was in full-time ministry. I hope that makes sense to everybody. Yeah, because you know what? Jesus said it really, really well. Jesus said a lot of stuff really well. You should read the book. It's good. Uh, <laughs> but, but here's the idea behind that is that if we can understand, it's an as-you-go ministry. Don't ever miss that phrase. It's an as-you-go ministry. He says, as you go, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse lepers. As you go. Where? As you go to Perkins, as you go to Lowe's, as you go to work, as you go to the mall, as you go to the gas station, wherever you go, you're in ministry. Everybody okay with that? And we missed that. I missed that for years. That's part of that whole shift that took place about 10 years ago. I used to, I used to see sick people and say, man, you should come to church. We could pray for you. Who's done it? Come on. Because we all did that. We would invite them to church so we could pray for them. Why? Because it's in church. You pray for sick people. <laughs> the world still thinks that. So when I'm praying with the waitress last night in Perkins, she's a little weirded out because you know why? Not too many people pray with her in Perkins. But shouldn't the church be doing that? 
Like I'm convinced that sick people who can't get to church on Sunday morning should go to restaurants on Sunday afternoon. Why? Because all the church people are there. <laughs> That's where church people go. Come on. Every waitress is going, amen. Okay, but, but it's true. And the fact of the matter is, is that we should be able to pray for You ought to be very comfortable. Most of you that are here are probably somewhat comfortable with that. But that should just be normal Christianity for every one of us. Does that make sense? Who do you think you are? It's probably one of the most powerful questions you're ever going to be asked. And you have to define that. You have to find purpose in that. Who am I? Who has God created me to be? Who does God want me to be? What should my life be looking like? We have models that God's raised up around us, people that we esteem, people that we lift up. And and it's kind of cool. And when I even say that, there's probably certain people that come to your mind. You know, because, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've said some different things in my life. You know, when I grow up, I want to be just like Pastor Dan. You know, I, when I grow up, I want to be, you know, and, and we can talk about those things. There's some really cool stuff. God's doing neat stuff. And he's raising people up around us that we can look at. But I can tell you something. When I first started preaching, uh, there was a pastor. His name was Bob Wright. And Bob Wright was an amazing, gifted man of God. Had a strong anointing on his life. Probably one of the strongest anointings that I knew of in the, in the organization that we were a part of. And Bob was just an amazing guy. So I, I watched him. I watched how he preached. And I thought, I'm going to preach like he preaches. And then I met another guy named Felix Garcia. And Bob Wright was a big, a, a big old country boy. And Felix Garcia obviously was a little Spanish guy. And Felix Garcia, oh my gosh, was that guy anointed. He was so anointed. And, 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 and all the time he would go, hallelujah, because he was Spanish. And that's how Spanish people say that. So, so, so now I find myself and watch this because we do this and we can get twisted in some of this. So watch what I was doing. I'm preaching like I'm an old Western cowboy because that's Bob, Bob Wright. And then turn around and go, hallelujah. <laughs> now I'm a Spanish old Western cowboy. <laughs> I think this is not going to work, okay? And, and E.L. Jones came into the picture, and I loved E.L. Jones, right? And he was amazing, old black man. And, 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 and so, yeah, yeah. Won't somebody, won't somebody, won't somebody. And that's probably where I got a lot of that from E.L. Jones. And all of a sudden, I had to come down to the definition of who do you think you are? Y'all okay with that? Because I can't be Bob Wright and Ed Jones and, 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 and Felix Garcia because you'd be twisted. <laughs> you know? I, I, yeah. Then <laughs> some little Chinese guy, never mind. <laughs> okay, so, you, if you spend your life trying to be somebody else, you'll never get to be you. You have to know who you are. And I can tell you something. You, gotta be the be- you, you will be the best you on the planet if you learn who you are. And part of it's this, this whole book defines who we are. I really believe that you're dedicating this time of your life to get a better understanding of who God created you to be. You okay with that? I'm convinced that's, called, that's just so where God wants us. You can get all the education in the world, but the truth of the matter is you gotta believe what you're being taught. That it's not just for them, it's for you. I sit with, with Dan and Todd quite a bit, and as we talk, uh, one of their greatest cries is that the church looks at them as, as a gifted anomaly, and it's so not that at all. As a matter of fact, you can, those of you that know their hearts, either one of them, they will tell you the only reason we're out there doing what we're doing is because we want to duplicate 
what we're doing. When Pastor Dan and I sat and talked about this school and the idea behind it, and I, I just, so there were some things that were really, really big. It was all about duplication and multiplication. Uh, just some amazing things there that I believe that's the key is being able to pour into others so that they can get this thing and run with it, you know? Yeah. And, and sometimes, honestly, it's, it's uh, as we see it happening, it's, it's getting people out of the boat. That's, that's a phrase that Todd uses a lot. But it's really encouraging people, take that step of faith. You've got to believe this is for you. You okay with that? Because it's real. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3 because it's one of my favorite places to go. <clears throat> I've got like 97 stories in my head I want to share with you. I don't know where we're going to end up. It's just going to be fun getting there. I have no idea. <laughs> okay? But we'll have a good time this morning. I want to go to this. I love this. He says, he starts this out with this word, behold. Behold. Behold, take a look. This is amazing. It's kind of along that whole verily, verily, foghorn, leghorn thing. Okay? <laughs> Some of you have no idea what I just said, and that's okay. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called, check this out, the sons of God. I love this phrase. He says, behold. There comes a point where we have to really take into account and take into view the love that God has for us. Like, even as a child, and, and for some of you that might know some of my history, I was raised Roman Catholic. I was an older boy for eight years. Became a commentator in, in the 11 o'clock mass in a church of a couple thousand people. My mother was confident I was going to be a priest. Uh, several priests were in the family. And then I met this little Pentecostal girl. <laughs> and my mother hated her. Okay. <laughs> Because she drew me away from Catholicism. And if you know anything about Catholic roots, and again, not, not picking, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of good Catholic people. And, and we got somewhere we got this idea in our mind that Catholic people couldn't be saved. And I got to tell you, we need to rethink that thought. Okay, I'm just going just gonna to leave that alone, not get into theological debate with anybody. But who are you or I to judge hearts? And I, I'm not even going to go there. Do you realize the greatest sin we have in the body of Christ is what we violate Matthew 7 and 1? Matthew 7 and 1 says, judge not, lest you be judged. And we called it fruit inspection and a whole bunch of other things. But honestly, we became very judgmental in the body. And we have to repent of some of that stuff and move forward. And thank God we're moving forward. But I want to take you to a place that's real important. And this is what I guess I was starting to say. As a little child, even growing up, I understood God loves me. Who sang the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And here's why I knew Jesus loved me. The Bible told me so. But it was all cranial. Do you understand what I just said? I had a head knowledge that God loved me. But there came a point where I started to get a revelation of the love of God. And it totally blew me away. Would to God that the body of Christ today would start to get a real revelation of the love of God. This is what he's saying in 1 John. He's saying, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that he would adopt us into his family, that he would call us his kids, that I would be his son. That's like an amazing day when you start to understand sonship. Remember this, and this is a phrase that I use a lot, but I'm going to come back to this several times today. It's always about identity. It's always about identity. I don't care what's going on in your life. It really comes back to identity, and that's why I bring out the question, who do you think you are? Right? Watch this. Did Eve sin in the garden? Is that the first sin? Eve took it a tree, right? Why? Because it's about identity. Because she thought there was something more. Because she thought if she ate of the tree, there was something more. And if there's something more, I need something more. Why do you need something more if you have your identity saw it already? 
Do you understand what I just said? The idea behind it is she got selfish because she didn't understand. What did the devil tempt her with? Her identity. If you eat this tree, you'll be like God. But didn't God already make her in his own image and after his own likeness? So if, her, if she'd understood that her identity was she is already like God, why would I do what God told me not to do when I'm already like him? Anybody follow what I just said? Because that's really serious. It's always about identity. When you study out your own life, the fact of the matter is it really comes down to always about identity. I find that probably in counseling, the greatest thing that I encounter is people are insecure. I promise you that if, you, if you're, when you're just speaking into people's life, and, and can I say this? Every one of you is a counselor. Hello? <laughs> yeah. Every one of you is a counselor. You're going to counsel somebody today. And you might not call it counseling, but the truth of the matter is you're going to have a conversation with somebody, whether it's on phone or in person. You're going to talk to people. There'll be kids around, whatever. Do you understand how much we pour into kids and we don't even realize what we're pouring into them? But the truth of the matter is we're counseling all the time. Okay? But the truth is, it's, it, when it comes down to it, it really comes down to identity. Here's what he says. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we've been adopted into this family and we're his sons. And we start to understand that and we begin to understand and fathom the love of God. And there's a place where what happened in my life was that I began to really start to understand and get a revelation of God's great love. And once that hit me, it hit me like a brick. And I began to understand, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So he says, what, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not. Why does he say that? Are there people in your world that think you're an absolute nut? <laughs> I'm not alone. Okay, good, good. good. I can tell you something. It's funny. Um, as a, and I want to say this the right way, but as the church has grown, uh, some of you might know, we started in the little plaza that you pass on the way in here. There's a little storefront down there. We started with one unit. We went to two. We went to three. We bought property up here. We built a building over there in 2002. The building you're in now, we built last year. Matter of fact, we have a one-year anniversary coming up next week. So that's kind of cool that we'll be in a new building. Uh, but what's going on is uh, the church has grown and a lot of things have happened. We've got a pretty good name out in the community. But there are some people as I'm out here and we're meeting and you get a chance to meet people and then they find out you're a pastor. Oh, where are you pastor at? I said, oh, up in Abbottstown? Oh, where at? Harvest Chapel. Oh, <laughs> and they go, oh, I'm not sure why that old was. What did they hear? You know what I mean? But not everybody understands the style of worship that we do or the type of church that we are or the fact that we're stepping out. And some people, can I say this? Some people are afraid of that. When I first met Pastor Lori, she's a young girl. She was 16. I was 18 when we first met. And uh, when we first met, uh, we got talking. Uh, and, and so I decided I was going to ask her out. And when I asked her out, I said, you want to go out Sunday night? And she said, well, I can't go out Sunday night. I have to go to church. I said, you go to church Sunday night? I said, why don't you go Sunday morning? And she said, I do. I said, you go Sunday morning and Sunday night? She said, yeah, and Wednesday too. I said, you go to church three times a week? Because we can do that. <laughs> so, and she said, yeah, always. I said, are you bad? Because <laughs> I, I can't imagine that you had to go to church three times. I'm a Catholic boy. We went once a week, and I thought, you know, I had to get in the confessional on Saturday once a month, spend a couple hours. Uh, anyway, okay. But <laughs> I used to go in and preach and wait a minute, you. I got to get comfortable. Okay, but, 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 but what happened was in the midst of that, and if you can understand, I didn't get this whole picture of going to church three times a week. To me, that was crazy. It didn't make sense to me. There are people out there who won't understand you. It's okay. Not everybody will. And can I share this with you? 
Your job is never to change them. Your job is to love them. If you love them and give them truth, you've been incredibly successful. You don't know how many people that I've shared with over the years. And I'll tell you this, that for years what happened was I would share with people because you're wanting to lead everybody to the Lord. And back then, you know, we understood that the way you, the way you help people was you put them in a headlock and made them pray a prayer. Okay? You pray this prayer and you get saved and you'll get your name in a book and you can go to heaven. And we lived that way. Come on, most of us did that. Because we were going to change the world one neck at a time. Anyway, okay, but, 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 but here's what happened, okay? And that doesn't work, okay? But here's what happened, and it's true, is that as we were going through that and, and trying to define what this was supposed to look like, when people didn't accept my God, I felt rejected. I felt like a failure. I felt like I did something wrong. And you know what happened? A lot of the body of Christ started into that kind of thinking. And all of a sudden, we quit sharing the gospel because we didn't want to deal with the rejection. We felt like failures. And the Lord spoke to my heart because we were out one day, and I was out with a bunch of the youth, and we were passing out tracks and just talking to people. And that was something that we did a whole lot of back then. And uh, I felt like, man, we didn't lead anybody to God. And I felt really bad about the day, and I'm, I'm going home, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm sorry. We just failed you. And I heard God real clear. Speaking to my heart, said, you were incredibly successful today. And I said, we didn't lead no. Did you ever get, who argues with God? <laughs> like, hello, you, did you not watch? <laughs> so obviously you're busy, but we didn't lead anybody to God. You know what I mean? He said, you were incredibly successful. You went out and loved on people and gave them truth. Do you understand that defines success? Because that's really what God called us to do. Love people and give them truth. If you love them and give them truth, now the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Do you understand what I just said? Your success ratio isn't based on the idea of how many people's names did you get recorded and whatever. You know what I mean? Your success ratio is based around the idea of did you love people and give them truth? If you loved them and you gave them truth, yay, you had a great day. So you can come home and your mom says, hey, how many people did you leave the Lord? Nobody. It was great. <laughs> Why? Because you were incredibly successful. You loved people and you gave them truth. It wasn't that you were out, can I say this? Too long in the body of Christ, we were out to put another notch on the wall. I was talking to a man who had been coming to me for a while, and I had to really speak to him straight. Can I talk to you? Is it okay? I had to speak to him really straight, and the idea behind it was is he was coming, and he was telling me that, you know, I was out in the mall, and I prayed for this guy, and he got here, and this one not got here. And it seemed like a constant barrage of that over and over. And uh, I asked him, I said, I, I want to challenge you with a thought, man. He said, what's that? I said, who are you doing this for? He said, I'm doing this for Jesus. I said, you have to get to a place where you understand that you're not doing this for you. That you're not praying for people so that you can have another success story to tell the church. Do you understand what I just said? Because sometimes we can get twisted with that. And now it's another notch on the wall for us. Y'all follow what I just said? Please make sure, and this is so, so very, very important. God is interested much more in your motive than your results. Oh, that was just good right there. You should write that down. Okay. God is much more interested in your motive than your results. Because the fact of the matter is, it's really always about your heart. It's where's your heart at in the midst of this. And I'm sure you've heard that over and over by now. But the fact of the matter is, it's your motive that makes all the difference in the world. And our motive ought to be, we're out to just love people. We're just loving people. 
Because that's cool. And sharing the love of Jesus. So it's always much more about your motive than your results. So here's what he says. He says, the world, he says, the world won't know you because it didn't know him. If the world looks at you like you're some kind of a freak or some kind of a crazy or some kind of whatever, that ain't necessarily a bad thing. I was pastoring a church several years back, and there was a little old man there. They called him Pappy Mays. And Pappy Mays was, uh, was a pretty neat old guy. And uh, he was already at the church when I came to pastor. And, and, and so I asked him, I said, how'd you hook up with the church here? And he, he looked at me, he says, you really want to know? And he started to laugh. And he was about 88 years old. Okay, because he'd been there for a little while. And I asked him, I said, how'd you hook up here? And he said, when I moved into town, he said, I was asking him where a good church was. And uh, he said, he, he said, well, they told me about this church and another church, and there were several, uh, it was brethren, it was a brethren community, Mennonite, brethren, Mennonite community, similar to here, really, a lot of brethren and Mennonites around our area. But he said, uh, he said, they told me, they said, stay away from that church over in Council Bluff. He said, because them people over there are crazy. They hang off the chandeliers and they jump and shout all over the place. And he said, whoo-hoo, that's the church for me. Okay, <laughs> I'm excited. The world looked at it as crazy, but he was tuned into, he wanted more of God. Is that, is that okay? So sometimes, I, can I go here? I've been at churches that uh, if church goes over an hour, people are leaving. And I thought, you're in trouble here because after an hour, we're not done with worship yet. And I ain't even got started. <laughs> and we went through a season in the body of Christ where we, were, we became what we called seeker-friendly. And, and I don't want to say this the wrong way. I'm not being critical, but I think there's a place for everybody. You understand what I'm saying? But I've had people ask me, are you seeker-friendly church? I said, we're a spirit-friendly church. Is that the same thing? <laughs> and that's the way I usually respond to that. We're spirit-friendly. I, I, I just want to be friendly to the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. See, I'm convinced that God has this idea that church ought to be about Him. <laughs> no, what's up with that? <laughs> but it works for me. In the process, sometimes the world's not always going to understand if you're in church for three hours. That lady started coming here, and she got home one night, and, and her husband was furious with her. And he said, where have you been? She said, I've been at church. He said, you left here because she came on a Saturday night. Who's ever been here on a Saturday night when Dan's here? Okay, okay. If you get to church at 6.30, you don't leave for five hours. Okay, <laughs> but we have a pretty good time. She got home by 11.30. She left at 6.30. She got home by 11.30. He said, you have not been at church all this time. She said, I've been at church all this time. She said, nobody has church that long. <laughs> but when God shows up, it doesn't feel like four hours. Y'all follow what I just said? Like four hours seems like 20 minutes. Who's ever been in church for 20 minutes? Felt like four hours. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave that alone. <laughs> okay. I better read the next verse. Okay. <laughs> a lot of times, and I don't know, I don't know if, you, if you underline in your Bible. I write in my Bible. If you have a Bible that you can't write in because you feel convicted, see me and I'll give you one you can. Uh, okay. <laughs> But in verse 1, I have sons of God underlined. And now look at the next verse because I've underlined the word now. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Who understands that now we're the sons of God? I've got to tell you something, man. We've been brought into the family. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, As many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's a power that comes with being his sons. And right now, this is what he's saying. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. 
And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right now, I'm a son. I'm not going to be a son. I'm not hoping that one day when I cross over the sapphire seal of heaven's gate, I'll be a son. We've had all these phrases, you know what I mean? The truth of the matter is, right now, I'm a son. I've been adopted into the family of God. Okay? Now watch what he says. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. You know you got to underline purifies himself, right? That's such a huge word right here. I so want to talk to you about the body of Christ today because this is where my heart's at. It's an amazing thing. In a couple of days, uh, well, actually tomorrow and tomorrow night, we'll begin a series of services. And David Hogan's here for three nights, and then Todd's here on Saturday night. And we'll have an amazing weekend. It's just going to be an awesome time. It's just going to be like really incredible. So, three nights of David Hogan, then a night of Todd. And then I've got to follow that on Sunday morning, but I'm wound up, so I'm ready. Okay, <laughs> so here's where we're at. I want to talk to you about this because it's kind of cool. I've had the opportunity to be around, surrounded by some really, really amazing men, some of the most amazing men that are walking on the planet. And, and I've got to tell you something. In the, in the church today, uh, I, and I do, believe, I do believe there's a place where there's a laying on of hands, there's impartation. I know that because it's in the Bible. Paul says, I pray that I can come unto you, that I might lay my hands on you and impart some spiritual gift to you. Does he say that? It's in the book, okay? If it's in the book, it's real. I, 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 I'm just convinced that everything that's in the book is real. It's a real book. I'm convinced that every scripture that's in the book is breathed by God because it's in the book. It says so. He says all scripture is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay? When he says that, it actually, if you understood that in the Greek, it actually says every scripture is God-breathed. Isn't that a neat phrase? Breathed by God. So there's a place, and, and a lot of times there's a, there'll be lines for impartation, and everybody wants somebody to lay hands on. And I have no problem with that, but I really believe that impartation is a catalyst. Can I talk to you? Because I'm going to talk to you real straight. Here's a man who lives out his life in, in constant fasting. As a matter of fact, like, like, like David Hogan, fasts every other day, okay? He's, he, every other day he's fasting and praying. He does a lot of that. He's, he separates himself for sometimes two, three months at a time where he just goes after the heart of God. He, he, he dedicates himself. He's up very early in the morning. He's in two hours of prayer every morning. And he has dedicated and set himself apart completely and wholly for God. If you believe for one instant that you can live a haphazard life and then have some man come and lay his hand on you and you're going to get everything that he has dedicated his entire life for, that's the spirit of stupid. Y'all okay? That, that's your gift. Okay? <laughs> okay. So, yeah. The, the truth is that that's never, ever, ever going to happen. That he can lay his hands on you and now in a moment you're going to get what he poured his whole life after to get. But I do believe that he can lay his hands on you and it can begin a catalyst. Yes. But I'm going to give you a word that probably the church doesn't like. It's called discipline. We've got to walk in discipline. We've got to discipline ourselves. We've got to bring our life into subjection. We've got to walk this thing out. We've got to keep our hearts pure, keep our minds pure, study after the word, go after God with everything that's in us. And I believe that. But I do believe there's an impartation that can be a catalyst that will begin an incredible journey. Do you all follow what I just said? That's huge to me that we understand that. I think it can be a catalyst that will launch us. But it's up to us to discipline ourselves and go after this. Watch what he says. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. There's a place where we purify ourselves, where we keep ourselves pure, where there's, there's a place where we set ourselves apart. There's a place where, you know what, when the whole world's doing this, I'm even going to say this, where the whole church is doing this, I still refuse to do this. 
Let me talk to you. Some of you know my mother-in-law passed away a couple weeks ago. Amazing woman of God, amazing woman of faith. Uh, probably led a couple hundred people to the Lord at her kitchen table. I just think that's a great testimony. I just think that's a really incredible testimony. She's done an awful lot. Um, at, at her funeral, we did the song. There was a, we did, took a whole bunch of pictures and put them to the song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord, which I think is an amazing song anyway. It's a very bold song. Uh, but anyway, in the process of that, uh, she gave a lot to God, right? Incredible woman. Uh, but she, she was, I'm going to say this in the right way. She had a side to her that was legalistic. Okay, um, who I'm 50 years old. Okay, Pastor Lori's 50 years old. Um, who remembers Charlie's Angels? When we were in high school, that was the big thing. Farrah Fawcett and what was the girl with the Jacqueline Smith? You know what I mean? And whatever you know what I mean, Kate, whatever. But but here's the deal. That was like the big thing when we were in high school. My wife wasn't allowed to watch that because they had guns. And she wasn't allowed to watch TV if it had guns. You all follow that? It's the home she grew up in. So it gives you an idea, right? Um, no dancing, no swimming, none of that kind of stuff ever went on. I took her to the prom. They were ready to throw her out of the church. You know what I mean? I was a rebel. Uh, another story altogether, okay? The whole deal come down to this was in the process of that. Mom, incredible woman of God, loved the Lord with all of her heart. As she got older, some of, those, some of that legalism began to fall off of her, and she was really finding you know, a place. But she'd always walked with God, and God had done amazing things in her. She had a stroke. When she had a stroke, a lot of her, um, I'm going to say this, her, her blood flow really slowed down, and she was cold all the time. You all understand that? Circulation is what I was trying to say. Circulation got poor, and, and she was cold. And my mother-in-law had never worn a pair of pants, ever, because... In, in the old Pentecostal holiness movement, that didn't happen. Women didn't wear pants. And she's freezing. It's January. So I told her, I said, Mom, you can wear pants. Now, my mother-in-law loves me. Like, I, I have more influence on my mother-in-law than anybody on the planet at that time. And I'm like, Mom, you can, you can wear pants if you want to. No, Dawn, I just can't do that. <laughs> I said, okay. So now she's really freezing. And the sisters all get together. Pastor Lori, she got a sister Joanne, a sister Arlene, and they come to me and said, Don, you've got to get mom into a sweatsuit somehow because she's freezing all the time. I said, okay, listen, mom loves me. If I buy her one, she'll wear it. So I go out, I buy her this nice, like Adidas sweatsuit, you know what I mean? And I tell her, mom, put this on, put your dress over it, right? She'll still be in a dress, but she can wear a sweatsuit underneath it. She'll be warm. This is just good planning, right? So she does it. She puts this sweatsuit on. She comes out with this. I can't believe I'm wearing this. And, she, and she's there. And she's sitting in the chair for about 20 minutes. And she jumps out of the chair. i got to get this off. Don't I'm taking this off. I can't. She is so violated in her heart because she's never wore these pants. Y'all follow what I just said? And I looked at her and I said, Mom, let me tell you something. Whether it's me or anybody else, don't ever violate your own Christian conscience. If that's so in your heart and so in your conscience that you can't do that, don't let me or anybody else talk you into what you believe would be a wrong thing to do. Now, do I believe that it was the Holy Spirit convicting her? No. I actually believe she was convicted by her traditions. You okay with that? There's a place where you can be convicted by your traditions. But the truth of the matter is it would be a violation of her heart to do that, so don't wear them. But then I looked at her and says, but on the other side is, don't put your conviction on everybody else. They have to follow their conviction, so you walk your walk and let them walk theirs. Good learning lesson right there. Y'all follow what I just said? So in the process of that, what happened was, 
She couldn't do that. She had to keep her own heart pure. And in her own mind, even though all of us in here would probably think, well, that's ridiculous. In her mind, it wasn't ridiculous. You follow that? Every man that has this hope in him, what? Purifies himself. There's a place where we keep ourselves pure. There's a place where you've got to follow your convictions. There's a place where you've got to do what you know is right. And watch this. If you have seven friends that are doing it and they're telling you it's okay, but there's a conviction in your heart, don't do it. Guess what? Don't do it. That's a good amen right there. There's a place where we have to purify ourselves. You're not going to wake up one day pure. You're not going to wake up one day because an evangelist prayed for you last night and this morning you woke up and there was gold dust all over your face and now you are pure. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. Everybody okay with that? There's a place where we walk in discipline, where we walk and we carry ourselves with honor, okay? And we'll talk about that in just a little bit because we're, we're really establishing a culture of honor, okay? I, I want to show you a couple of things real quickly if I can. Whosoever committeth sin transgress also the law, for, the sin, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him is no sin, okay? Sin is a transgression of the law. Okay, here's the deal. If you want a definition of sin, it's right here. Sin's a transgression of the law. What's that look like? There's amazing things in that. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But he was revealed for what purpose? That's what manifested means revealed to take away our sin. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sins not. Whosoever sins hath not seen him, neither known him. We're going to talk about this, okay? Let me read a couple more verses and then we're going to really break this down, okay? Watch this. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was revealed or manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for in him, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. As a young Christian, barely saved, I read these verses. I gave up. After I read these verses, I thought, this is crazy. He just said, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Who's ever missed sin? Do you know, anybody know the Greek word for sin? Yeah, it means miss the mark. It's harmartia. But the phrase harmartia in the Greek literally means miss the mark. It's taken from an archer who is shooting an arrow at the target and he missed the mark. Y'all follow that? That's the exact definition of the word sin, to miss the mark. Sometimes we miss the mark. What he just said is whosoever misses the mark is of the devil. (laughs) For the devil misses the mark from the beginning. Everybody read that? So then I read this, whosoever is born of God does not miss the mark. And I read that and it messed me up. Does that mess anybody else up? Are you with me? (laughs) It's challenging, right? So as a young Christian, I read this and I didn't understand this. And I started going to people saying, hey, what does this mean? Because if this tells you that every time, that if every time I miss the mark, it's like I can't make it. I'm of the devil. What does this mean? How, does it, how, am I read, how am I supposed to read this? Because I was still learning. I was still growing. And there were places when I, when I would read stuff and think, oh, my gosh, I missed the mark here. And I thought, what does this all mean? So I had to start to get an understanding of this. And I'm asking God for revelation and understanding because it's messing with me. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit messes with me. Does the Holy Spirit mess with you? Because when you're not challenged, you're not growing. You okay with that? If you're not challenged, you're not growing. I love the fact that God challenges me constantly. I find myself constantly being challenged. I think you need to be challenged. I thank God for the people who have come along in my life and raised the bar. 
Come on. There's some people around us that have raised the bar, that have challenged us with our life, that have said, it's available. You ought to go after it. There's some people that have challenged me a lot in my life. I'm thanking God for them. And can I say this? There are people that challenge me two ways. There are people that walk such a high walk and such a, 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 such a they have such revelation and understanding. And they, they so challenge me because I want that. Can I tell you how the other people challenge me? I get around some mean people sometimes. We're going to talk about this for a while. I've been challenged by some mean. Who's got some mean people in your life? Thank God for them mean people. <laughs> Boy, there's the thought. <laughs> Come on. Linda's a waitress, so I'll just pick on her for a minute. But she's sitting there. She's going to be a waitress at a table. And let's just say three drunks come in, right? Not that that ever happens where you work. Okay. <laughs> okay. But they come in, and they're mean and slobbery and whatever. Thank God for them people because, you know, what? they challenge her. They're going to cause her to make her light shine brighter. Now, I'm sure that there's been some people at the table that she thought they're ordering spaghetti and they're going to wear it, not eat it. <laughs> not that you ever thought that way. Okay. <laughs> okay. But the truth of the matter is, this is the people that challenge you like that. I asked God, I want to become love. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. God will not cause you to become love by surrounding you with lovely people. Do you all understand what I just said? Yeah, there'll be some lovely people around you that you can model and emulate, but if you really want to get tested, you're going to have to get around some unlovely people. <laughs> Anybody hear what I just said? Because that was just really right on. You're, going to, you're never tested by lovely people. If you want to become love and you're just surrounded by a bunch of people that are easy to love, you can love them. That's easy. Matter of fact, Jesus said publicans do the same. If you only love them that love you, publicans can do that. Tax collectors can do that. Sinners, the hardened people that were considered at the bottom of the totem pole, if I can say it that way, they can do that. He said, if you really want to be challenged, get around some unlovely people. Marry one. Never mind. Listen, okay, okay. Here's the deal. You're going to get stretched by unlovely people. Thank God for the people that stretch you. Thank God for the people that challenge you. I went to Pensacola, Florida when the Brownsville Revival was on. I had an amazing time. We got down there, and the first night, I'm excited. I've never been there. I've heard a lot about it. It's been going on for a couple of years. I've met all kinds of people. you got to go. Oh, you got to go. And I'm not big at chasing stuff. I want to become stuff. But in the process, there's something about just going down. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go down. I want to go down. I'm going to see what's going on there and just kind of see what the culture's all about and what God's doing. We got there, and they said, you've got to get there early if you want to get decent seats. And we got there early, and we got pretty good seats. And I'm all excited. And guess what? Stephen Hill was the evangelist that was there. And they say, boy, this guy's amazing. you got to hear him. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go here Stephen Hill and guess what happened Stephen Hill didn't come and they brought out a little 87 year old lady and she came out on the platform like this and they introduced her as a fireball named Iverna Tompkins and and I don't know if anybody's ever heard Iverna Tompkins I didn't and this little old lady come out there like this doing the 87 year old shuffle <laughs> and I'm watching her thinking oh my god I just drove 3,000 miles for this this is she's awful. <laughs> I felt like I was watching Tim Conway do Mr. Tudball. Okay. <laughs> Some of y'all know who I'm at. <laughs> okay. but, and the young people, I'm like, what? Okay, never mind. Okay, but, 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 but us old folks know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and she, she come out there, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I in for? And she started talking, and then she lit up like a house on fire. And that girl preached. 
One of the things she said, and that was probably 13, 14 years ago, but one of the things she said that so stays with me, maybe it wasn't quite that long ago, but she said, when you think about your life, go back and kiss the stones that bloodied your feet. They made you who you are today. And that's an amazing statement that stays with me all those years. Go back and kiss the stones that bloodied your feet. They made you who you are today. Thank God for the challenges that you've come through in your life. Because it's those challenging places that define you. It's those challenging places. When you came through the fire that you understood God can bring me through the fire. If you've never been in the fire, you don't know that there's a God in the fire. You just heard somebody else's testimony. But when you've met God in the fire, now you're ready for the next fire. Oh, I just felt the Holy Ghost all over that. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? There's an amazing truth to that. So here we are, and watch this because it's kind of cool. When I I start thinking about this, and, and, and this is the deal. I'm thinking about these couple of verses and I'm challenged with the idea of this, this whole concept. What he's saying is, when he says he to commit, I'm sorry, when he says in, in verse 9, and we'll just go back and look at it, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. That word there actually in the Greek is practice, does not practice sinning. It doesn't mean that you don't miss the mark occasionally, but here's the deal, and I want you to get this. This is probably as important as anything I'm going to tell you today, but you're going along, and all of a sudden, you're blind. Who's been blindsided? Like, out of nowhere, whack, something happened. You're like, oh, my gosh. There was so much that I didn't want to do that, but now it's done. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I did that. What are you doing? Your heart's already shifted. You've already repented, even though you haven't said words. Do you understand that? Because your heart shifted immediately. And as soon as your heart shifted, can I tell you what happened? God met you right there. Now watch this. This is so important. You've repented. God, that's so not who I am. I so didn't want to do that. That is so not in my heart to do. Do you know what? There's forgiveness. There's grace. And God looks at you like as if you've never even done it. I'll tell you a neat story, and it's, it's just something that is so incredible. But just a few weeks ago, I um, had a situation where I got a phone call early in the morning, a woman crying. It was very early in the morning, and I had no idea who was on the other end of the phone, and I had no idea what she was saying. All I knew is there's a woman that's crying. And if you've ever heard a crying woman early in the morning on the phone, it sounds like... <laughs> And I had no idea what it was. And after a while, I got her to calm down, and she began to tell me her story. And I won't go into all the story, and it's kind of a private thing, but I need to share this much of it with you. In the process, she had just found out undeniable proof that her husband was having an affair. And it's a family that God's been moving in. You felt like God has done some amazing things, but there was a place where he got caught up in a mess. And in the process of that, she wanted to confront him, but she wanted me there when she did. And there's another girl from the church here that was a part of that whole conversation, and we made it, we ended up in a meeting that night. And in the beginning of the meeting, I gotta tell you, and I knew it wasn't gonna start well, because as soon as I showed up with this other person, and now there's a confrontation that's gonna take place, he became very, very defensive, and he knew he was busted. Who knows what I'm talking about? But I looked at him, and this was my phrase. I said, buddy, let me tell you something. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. That is so not my place. 
I'm here to tell you I've heard a story, and if it's true, then you've fallen in a hole. And all I want to do is lend the strength of my life to your life to help get you out of the hole so you can be redefined. Do you understand what I just said? I just want to lend the strength of my life to your life, and let's get you out of that mess. Okay, I'm not here to judge you, not here to condemn you. But I said, your actions are telling me that the story's probably true, is it? He said, absolutely. Now hear this. This is probably as important as anything you'll hear in this school. I said to him, I said, is it true? And he's like, you know it is. And he's all upset. And, and, and he went through a whole bunch of things and started to project about why and all this stuff. I said, stop it, man. Let me ask you a question. Have you asked God to forgive you? He said, yeah. Absolutely. He says, and every time we would get together, I said, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then he says, and he says, it is so not my heart. And we started talking. I says, man, let me ask you this question. And he told me, he says, it's over. It's been over for a while. He says, I can't even believe this came up because it's been over. And as we talked, here's the story. And this is so cool. I said, you've asked God to forgive you. And he said, yeah, I have. I said, then look at me, man. Look at me because he's got his head down. He's in shame. He's guilt. Condemnation's all over him. He's been busted, right? I said, look at me. Look me in the eye, man. Look at me. And he says, what? And I said, look at me, man. I said, do you understand it right now? Your robe is just as white as my robe. You're as squeaky clean as I am. That's not going to define you. And you need to understand this. You are not a man marked by sin. You're a son of the Most High God. Do you understand that? Did he mess up? He missed the mark. Did he ask God to forgive him? Absolutely. Here's what happened. We went through a series of time and a lot of conversation. A whole bunch of meeting lasted a couple hours. At the end of it, I got him and her together and put hands on them, started praying for them. They joined hands, and they're standing there like this. They were on two different couches while they were talking. But when we got up and brought them into the center, put hands on both of them, and they're standing like this, then they're standing like this. Pretty soon their arms are around each other, and they're bawling and crying, and the Spirit of God's coming. And this isn't a two-minute prayer. This is like a 15-minute prayer. We're just praying, prophesying him as a man of honor and a man of integrity because that's who God called him to be. I want to talk to you about this because this is huge. We need to begin to see people the way God sees them rather than the way the world sees them because that's what defines them. They are not defined by the way the world sees them. Can I say this? You are not who the world says you are. You are who God says you are. So we're praying over them and I'm prophesying over his life as a man of honor, a man of integrity, a man of character, a man who will lead other men. Come on. And then, and then the girl gets up and she lays hands on him. She starts praying over them. She starts speaking over them, speaking over him as a mentor to men who have fallen. And now, because this thing's going to get right. And she, I've prayed a long time. She prayed a little while. And then we kind of just stopped. Spirit of God is so in the room. And this woman, who has just gone through this for two hours, has her arms around this man. And she starts saying, God, I thank you. I thank you for this amazing man of God that I hold in my arms. I thank you that he's a man of character and a man of integrity. And I thank you that he's my husband. He's my husband. He's my husband. And Satan, you can't have him because he's my husband. And then I lost it. I'm bawling like a big kid. It was, it was one of the most amazing moments in ministry for me because I watched this. It's the gospel. It's the power of the gospel. It's truth to its very core in nature because we refuse to be marked by sin when God says we're sons. We have lived in sin consciousness when we ought to be living in son consciousness. It never takes away from the fact that, listen, you need to hear my heart in this. It never becomes an excuse. It never becomes a reason to just go ahead and live a haphazard life. Never. Never, never. We're called to be holy people. We're called to be in holy. Matter of fact, God told Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect. 
Do you think he'd say that to Abraham and not the sons of Abraham? Come on, if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed. It says so in the book. We're called to walk this thing out in holiness. We're called to walk this thing out in truth. But I've got to tell you something. You are not defined by your past mistakes. You're not defined by your past successes either. Come on. We're living this thing out today. We're walking this thing out today. And we got an incredible promise for tomorrow. We're called sons for a reason. This is an amazing gift from God. This is what he's saying. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And and he says amazing things. Watch this. He says, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. What's the next part of that verse? It's verse 8. It defines your identity. For this purpose is Jesus revealed. That's what it says. For this purpose was the Son of, Son of I think it's the Son of Man or Son of God. What's it say? For this purpose was the Son of God revealed, manifested, that he might destroy what? The works of hell. The works of the devil. For this purpose, God's revealed in Donnie. For this purpose, God's revealed in Chelsea. For this verse purpose, God's revealed in Kira. Why? That we might go forth and destroy the works of hell everywhere that we're going. So the devil comes in to try to mess up a family. And you know what happened? The family got stronger than it ever was before. Pastor Lori and I have been counseling with them. I want to tell you something. We met with them this past week, and you know what happened? I said, how are things going? They said, we feel like we're on a honeymoon. (laughs) Our marriage has never been better. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it works. (laughs) It's the gospel. It's amazing. I am so excited about what God's doing. But it's this right here. Do you understand the power in this book? It's so very real. This is like ain't no doubt about it stuff. This is like amazing. Whosoever's born of God, right? Come on, we're born of God. We're not going to practice sinning. But here's the idea. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. You know what it says? It says, my little children, I write unto you, don't sin. He says, I write unto you that you sin not. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with a father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He said, don't sin. But if there comes along where you get blindsided, where something happens and you realize, man, that is so not me. We've got an advocate. We go to Christ. He brings blessing and forgiveness. Here's the amazing thing. God will forgive you much easier than you will forgive yourself. Amen. Because the truth of the matter is, in this, in this whole deal, most of us have spent so much time beating ourselves up, the devil don't even have to. That was a good word right there. I just made that up, but that was good. Okay. <laughs> Y'all follow what I just said, right? We beat ourselves up so bad, the devil don't have to spend time beating us up. We'll do a good job of it. And then when we find out, we'll go beat each other up. (laughs) And then we blame the devil. And he's like, I have nothing to do with that. Okay, (laughs) That was just church people. Never mind. (laughs) There's some truth to all that, I'm telling you. (laughs) Wow. Drop down to verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we ought to love one another. Isn't that amazing? Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one that slew his brother. Wherefore, wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Man, I could talk to you about this. We have spent so much time measuring ourselves by one another. Can I tell you something? 
you're not my measuring stick and I'm not yours. Please hear that. We have one measuring stick. His name's Jesus. And that's what we ought to strive for. So I want to talk to you. He says, and it's a very, very powerful thing. But I want to read this again. Not as Cain. See, we ought to love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. Why did he slay him? Why did he, why did he act out against him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. I've watched this happen in churches. A church experiences revival and God just shows up and whacks the place. And all of a sudden, 10 churches in the community are against that church. Because they must be doing something wrong. They've let down the standard. And we've said all kind of words like that. And it's almost like, why don't we just celebrate what God's doing over there? Why don't we celebrate what's happening in that place? Rather than try to poke at it or find. Can, can I, I wish we spent more time trying to find out what's right with one another than we do what's wrong with one another. We get twisted on some of that stuff. Some of that stuff's a mess. But watch this, because there's some neat stuff in the midst of this, and I think it's pretty cool. He says, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Right? Watch this. We know we've passed from death to life. Because why? Because love is in us. See, that's what we're called for. We're called to become love. We are so called to become love. I'm going to bring to you a revelation as soon as we get back from the break that God gave me a little while ago that I, I, I don't hear it taught. Um, I did talk to a guy in, in Washington, and he actually said he heard that before. But I'll, I'll share this with you. We're called to love the brethren. And you have to ask yourself, who's your brother? Is there anybody that you shouldn't love? Like, what if they're really evil? See, I, th- this amazes me, but I, I am, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, can I say that? Do y'all, do y'all measure your own personal growth? Because you got to. You, you got to be able to look at yourself. Because sometimes what we do is we see somebody, and I'm just going to use Pastor Dan because he's the primary teacher here. But we see somebody like Pastor Dan and we think, oh, I just wish I was like him. And we feel bad because we're not where he is. But I want you to so look at yourself and realize that's where I used to be and I'm here now. Thank God. And let me, I'm going to celebrate where I am rather than cry over where I'm not. Does that make sense? Let's celebrate that. Thank God. I used to be back there. Well, wow, I was really a mess. You, holy, wow, I didn't know I was that bad. Holy smoke. You know, but thank God I'm not there now. You know what I mean? So let's celebrate what God's doing in us. But the truth of the matter is, is that I, I feel, because I, I bring that up because I realize now I find myself in a pretty neat place. I'll talk to you. The Lord has really been speaking to me just about the home church here, some things that we've been praying about. And I realize that we're in a place right now where we're at what I'd call exponential growth, and it's going to happen and take off. And the Lord's already spoke to me. I spoke to leadership in a couple weeks back in a team meeting we had, and I told him, man, you've got to get so strong in your connection this way. And I really, really talked very straight with, probably the straightest I've ever talked to the leadership, but I talked with them really strong about spending time with God. You need your daily time with him, be in the word, be in prayer, seeking God. And I even told him, if you feel like your life is so busy that you don't have time to spend time with God and time in his word, do the body of Christ a favor and resign now. 
That's how strong I believe that. Because we're going to get into a place where growth is going to be amazing. But one of the things that I saw is there's going to be some people come through the door who are not of God. I'm anxious for the day when a witch shows up in her garb with her gown and everything. Because there was a day when that would have totally weirded me out. And now there's a day now when I would go hug her. <laughs> See, I'm so convinced I can just go hug her. It just doesn't even bother me at all. Like, come here, honey. Come here. Jesus loves you. <laughs> so, aren't you afraid of what's in her will get on you? No, I'm convinced what's in me is going to get on her. And, and we've got to be in that place where you're so convinced that everything that's in you is more powerful. Come on, we've read it for years. We've even preached it and shouted, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But we lived afraid of them. Where in the world does that come from? I'm convinced we're going to change the world. I'm convinced we're going to change the world. I'm convinced what's in. See, I get really, really excited about this. Most of you that know me know my heart is this. I live with the idea that there's a generation coming behind us that's going to be so amazing. They're going to set the world on fire. And my goal is to make my ceiling their floor. And my goal is to push my ceiling so high that they got a really good floor to start from. I'm going to keep pushing that ceiling until, I promise you, man, if I'm 95 years old, I'll still be teaching and preaching somewhere, pushing the ceiling. But I am really, really neat about this. Can I say this? This is so cool for me. A couple months back, it's been a while back now, and I was actually sitting in the back of this building and uh, sitting in the back row just in here, just spending some time with God. And the Lord told me, there'll be a day when you'll be sitting in one of these chairs. And the messages that you'll hear preached from that pulpit are going to blow you away. But they're coming from a generation that hasn't even been born yet. <laughs> See, here's this, this, oh man, you, get the, you don't have the hair on the back here. See, the hair on the back of my neck sticks up because there's none on the top of my head. So I got to go with what, you got to go with what you got. Okay? <laughs> but, 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 but it's just one of them neat things. And here's where I'm at. This is kind of cool. But these guys that are coming behind us, can I say this? I'm preaching stuff now that my mentors have no clue about. They had no clue about. But we become their mentors. And then the mentors, the, the people that we're mentoring now will mentor that generation. Do you understand what I just said there? And I gotta tell you something, that generation is gonna have stuff that we were just gonna, that's what the Lord was telling me. You will hear messages preached in this building that will so blow you away from a generation that hasn't been born yet. I'm like, oh God, that's so cool. I'm like, yay, that's fun to me. Because I gotta tell you something, I watched like Mike and Kim Jacoby have the kids here, you know what I mean, the, the first through sixth graders, and I watched them going back into the classroom and I'm picking out the next pastor of the church here. Which one? Oh, not him, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, Lord. No, it's like, no, I know him, uh-uh, okay. okay. But you don't know what God's gonna do. Isn't that cool? Isn't it really cool that God uses unlikely candidates? Oh, that's like so cool. That's it, man. Come on. Come on. Yeah, he says, I got to work with what I got, man. Come on, you know. Yeah, I got you, man. Yeah. There's so many neat things. I got to tell you, my mother-in-law is in Butler, right? This was a couple years back. Um, 
I, I graduated from a very large high school. My high school, my graduating class was 1,007 students in my class, okay? Uh, my wife graduated two years behind me. She had 997 in her class. So that's a pretty big school. Y'all follow Butler High School, Quad A School. But anyway, in the process of that, what happened was uh, there was a girl in between us. Like when I was in 12th grade and Lori was in 10th, Kim Twentier was in 11th grade. Now she knew both of us, but at that point we weren't together because we didn't get together until after I graduated, right? So Kim Kim didn't know anything about it, but her and Lori were friends, and she knew Lori's mom. She's working in a, in a grocery store, and she recognized Lori's mom. And she said, you're Mrs. Bobbert, aren't you? Because that was Lori's maiden name. And she said, yes. Yeah. She said, hey, whatever happened to Lori? And she said, oh, she said, she got married, and she moved out toward Harrisburg. And Kim said, oh, did she marry anybody local? And she said, yeah, she did. She, she said, um, she married a guy named Don. She said, oh, what's his last name? She said, Don Wallabaugh. And when she said that, Kim Twentier stopped and looked at her. Because, see, in high school, my life was very different. Lori was the little Christian girl all her life. I didn't fit that mold, okay? <laughs> We're just going to leave it at that, okay? But at that point, she looked at her and she said, She married Don Wallabaugh? And Mom went, Yeah. She said, What are they doing? She said, They're pastoring a church out there. And she said, What? <laughs> And mom said, yeah, they're pastoring a church out in a little area called Abbottstown. And Kim went, it must be a different Don Wallabaugh. <laughs> and mom said, it is. <laughs> Yay, God. Unlikely candidates, right? Come on. Because I got to tell you something, a thousand kids graduated with me. None of them would believe that I'm doing what I'm doing today. But God takes unlikely candidates and does amazing things. Isn't that cool? Yay, God. See, when others see a shepherd, boy, God may see a king. Is that a yay or is my time up? Okay, okay, cool. Okay, I'm close. Okay, okay, here's the deal. And this is really, really cool. I want to just just hit this real quick and then we're going to take a break, okay? I love this verse though, okay? He says this, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's pretty strong, isn't it? You hate him, you're a murderer? That can't possibly be. But it is, it says so right here. Okay? And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. That's pretty strong to me. I want to talk to you about that. So that tells me, can a born again child of God have hatred in their heart? I'm going to tell you something. When that even begins to creep in, Holy Spirit's all over that. Roots of bitterness. It starts out with anger. And all of a sudden it becomes a root of bitterness and pretty soon it'll turn into hate. You better check that thing. You okay with that? He's speaking to us real clear. What did he say? He said, we've got to love our brethren. Okay? Now watch this. Because I'm going to take us a step farther. Hereby perceive we the love of God. He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I'm convinced the greatest plague in the world is selfishness. Selfishness. It's the greatest plague in the world. As a matter of fact, I'm going to challenge you with this. Here's a thought. Every sin that you can think of, I don't care what it is, the root of it is selfishness. Matter of fact, the original sin was selfishness. The only reason Eve ate the tree is because she thought there was something more for her. Do you understand what I just said? Because the devil said, if you eat this, you're going to be like God. You mean there's something more for me? 
And selfishness consumed her to bite that apple, if it was an apple. We, we, we know it was a fruit, that's all we know. It's selfishness. When I stop and think about it, here's the deal. It all roots back to selfishness. If a man commits adultery, why? Because he wants something more for him. If a woman, if a, if a woman robs from a store, I'm just picking, just whatever, but why did she take it? Why didn't she pay for it? Because she wanted she didn't have the means to pay for it, but her selfishness consumes her and she takes it. You all follow what I'm saying? It, every sin that we can think of, I don't care if you tell a lie. Why are you telling a lie? To protect what? Yourself. Do you understand what I just said? I don't care what sin is in your life, and you can define it. I don't care. You can come to me later on. You can come to me at the break time if you want to say, what about this sin? What about that sin? I'll point every one of them back to selfishness. And I see that so very, very clear. Everything comes back to selfishness. Why? Because it's the original sin. That's what took place in the garden. We might say, you know, what, was, what caused her to do it? I'm going to tell you it was selfishness. It was all about self. We've been living for ourselves. And what God does is transfer us. When we lay down our lives, we're not living for ourselves anymore. I'm so not living for me anymore. I'm so living for you. My whole life is that. And that's so what we need to be doing. Every one of us needs to understand, I'm not even here for me. Can I say this? The only way you can effectively live for God is to lay down your life and live for people. We're not called to live for ourselves. Selfishness is the root of every sin. So here's the deal. And I'm going to come back to this and then we're going to go here. This is so strong. We know that we have, back to verse 14 because I can't get back away from that. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brethren. I'm going to take you there right after break. Okay? God bless you. Take a break. How much time do we get, Sue? 15 minutes. You'll hear the bell. Okay? All right. Cool. But I'm just going to have some students over here by the uh, uh, screen. And for some of you that just, it's on your heart to pray for Ingrid. She needs some deliverance physically and spiritually. So uh, it'll be uh, over here. If it's in your heart, you just pray about it. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit will just jump on you during the service. But anyway, just want to make mention of that. She'll be coming in and uh, invite you to, to be a part of praying for that. Okay? Okay. Everybody cool? Cool. Let me, let me talk to you about this. This is something that's really, really huge. Remember that we were reading uh, from 1 John chapter 3. And one of the things we said is one of the defining marks of knowing that you're a son is that you have a love in your heart that wasn't there before. Everybody okay with that? Like all of a sudden you just find yourself loving people. I really believe it's a defining mark of sonship. Like love just shows up. It's, I can use this phrase, it's almost like God drops a love bomb on you, you know what I mean? I, I like that love bomb thing, you know what I mean? But all of a sudden, like, because, like, you used to, people were okay, and now it's like you just love people. And that's, that's so true, and it's, like, really, really cool, and I, I think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a characteristic of the house here, but it just really ought to be, I think when people come in the house, they ought to just, like, man, you can just feel love there. Like, I just love going in there, because when you walk in, you feel like you belong, See, I think people should feel, do you know people want to feel a sense of belonging? They, 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 they love the idea that they just like, I have people that visit here on a regular basis and they say, I love to come here because I feel like I'm home. <laughs> you are home, you're in family. Welcome home, family. You know what I mean? It's okay. In the process of that, there's something about that love that's so defining. And I believe that God gives us revelations of that. And things that we can begin to understand about what this love really looks like. Do you remember when you were a little kid 
in third grade and you fell in love with the little girl or the little guy that was sitting on the other side of the room. And you knew it was love because every time you saw them, your heart went. And you felt like Thumper. You were Twitter-pated. <laughs> Sometimes there are people in school like that. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but there's all kind of neat things that are going on, okay? And in the process, it's just fun. You wrote your note. Do you love me? Circle yes or no. <laughs> and then she circled yes. Oh, she circled yes. And you're like flying around and you just feel amazed and it's like the greatest thing in the world. And that wasn't love at all. It was infatuation. And we didn't even understand anything different. We thought for the first time we were in love. It's amazing when God's love comes in because it supersedes anything you've ever known or experienced in your life before. And all of a sudden there's a love there that wasn't, that wasn't there before. And you can even love those, can I say it, those unlovely people. I am convinced, man, when you start asking God, here's the deal. This is probably fundamental for me. It's so strong. But it's a basic precept of everything that I believe and teach is that when Jesus came, he said, follow me. When he said, follow me, what he was saying was, I believe in you. I believe in you. That phrase was actually adapted from the Jewish rabbis. And there's a real strong teaching on that. I'll probably share that with you later on. But it's amazing because the rabbi would actually, would actually take his robe and he would put it around his best student and say, follow me. And when he did that, what he was saying was, I believe that you can do what I do. I believe you can, you can be what I am. That was so fundamental to every Jewish kid, every Jewish boy, that when Peter was in the boat and said, Jesus, if that's really you, bid me that I should come unto you. It was because Jesus had told Peter, follow me. Because Jesus told Peter, follow me, what Peter heard was, you can be what I am. You can do what I do. You can be just like me. Because that was the phrase the rabbi used to his prized student. That's what that meant to them. So Peter believed that if that's you, Jesus, walking on the water, and you called me to follow you, then I can walk on the water too. It caused Peter to get out of the boat. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> See, that's why Jesus says in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than he shall he do, because I'm going to the Father on your behalf. Y'all follow what I just said? So Jesus says, follow me. We can be just like him. So what is Jesus? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Did he say that? So he's the express image of the Father. We can be just like him. What is God? How would the Bible define God? Let's see. God is love. God is love, right? So God is love. So what Jesus say? Become love. I'm convinced if we're going to become love, the only way we can become love is we've got to become like him because he is love, right? And the more I become like him, the more I become love. Does that make sense? And the only way I'm going to ever become love is to get surrounded by a whole bunch of unlovely people and then learn how to love them. <laughs> when you ask God to become like him, he will surround you with unlovely people. And every unlovely person that comes into your life, you ought to thank God for. Boy, there's a challenge. <laughs> How are you going to love them? I honestly believe that God sends people in my life and goes, what are you going to do with that? 
See, God has an incredible sense of humor. <laughs> it's true. Go to, go to Luke chapter 10. I know where I want to go. Luke chapter 10 is this amazing chapter. Wow, there's just a whole bunch of things that flooded my heart. We'll come back to Luke chapter 10. We'll stay there now, stay there now, but we'll come back to that. The next time I teach, remind me that I want to come back to this. And, and we'll talk about unconditional authority. Uh, yeah, because that's a, that's a favorite for Sue, and we'll talk about that later on. But drop down if you would. Verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know what he just said? What do I got to do to get to heaven? I think there's a whole lot of people that live in that arena. What do I got to do to get to heaven? Because I want to make sure I do enough, but I don't want to do any more than I have to. <laughs> I'll leave that alone, <laughs> okay? What do I got to do to have eternal life? He said unto them, what do you what's written in the law, what do you read? And he answering said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that amazing right there? Love God and love people. It really comes down to that, doesn't it? Yes. So I guess it really comes down to becoming love. Mm-hmm. Love God, love your neighbor. Right? That's pretty simple. Well, just become love. I don't think it gets any simpler than that. I think I've got to be so full of love that there's nothing else in there. I want to get filled up with love and then leak everywhere I go. I really believe in leaky Christianity. I think we should be leaking everywhere. I think y'all just get sloppy. (laughs) Yeah. And everybody that bumps into you gets wet. When that person next to you that's kind of rough squeezes you, only love comes out. Let me tell you something. If only love's in there, only love will come out. You wouldn't believe how many times I've been with guys who are doing something and maybe they hurt themselves or maybe they do something stupid or whatever and they'll cuss. And then they realize who they're with. They're like, you know what they say? You know what they say? Sorry, that just slipped out. That just slipped out. And you know what I say, right? If it wasn't in, it couldn't slip out. Come on, if it ain't in you, it can't slip out of you. The fact of the matter is, what's in you? Out of the abundance of the heart. Come on, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if it's not in your heart, how's it coming out of there? And if it's coming out of there, then it's a revelation to you that there's something in there that shouldn't be. Get rid of it. That's just, I'm preaching now. <laughs> but y'all, y'all understand that that's just, that's just logical. Now watch this. This is kind of cool. Okay? So love God and love your neighbor. And he said unto him, you've answered right. Do this and you'll live. Right? That's pretty cool. Love God, love people. Yay! If you want to know what eternal life is like, if you really want to know what it's all about, here you go. Love God, love people. Can I say this? You can't effectively love God if you don't love people. You can't really love God if you don't love people. And guess what? If you love God... You've got to love people because they're made in the image and likeness of God. 
How can I say I love God who I can't see if I can't love Trisha who I can see? Y'all follow what I just said? Trisha's made in the image and likeness of God. I better love her if I'm going to love him. And if I say I love him, then it's not hard for me to love her. Sense? That's the way it ought to be. Right? Matter of fact, do you know that eternal life is defined in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17? He defines, someone says, watch eternal life. Jesus defines it in John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And that know is experientially. Isn't that cool? You know what he just said? He said, you want to know eternal life? Experience God. Have a God experience. Because once you've experienced him, your whole life's changed. Oh, I could preach right now. I'm trying to teach. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. I keep telling myself that. If I stomp twice and snort, then it's over right then. Okay. So, but here we go. Here we go. Okay. It's on me. Okay. Stop it. Don't do that. Here's the deal. He says some things here that are very, very vital. Okay? We're coming back. So he says, love God and love your neighbor. And this is the, this is, this is the whole deal. He says, do this and you'll live. But he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? Most of us are now familiar with the parable that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. I've changed the title. I call it the parable of the Great Samaritan. I'll tell you why in just a minute. I want to read this, and then we're going to redefine it in a way that most of you have never heard. Some of you from here have. I preached just a couple years ago here at the church. But it's a revelation that's so big in my heart. Let's read through this. Jesus answering and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came down where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and he gave them to the host. And he said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay you. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. It's an amazing story. Most of us have heard it probably when we were young kids. We know the story of the parable of the great Samaritan, the good Samaritan. I want to walk you through this in a light that maybe you haven't seen before. But I want to tell you that everything that Jesus says, he says with reason and purpose. There's a whole lot of things in here that are a lot deeper than we may have realized in the church before. So walk with me as we take a look at a couple of verses. He said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. The certain man here is Adam. It's not a coincidence that he says it this way. When he says a certain man, in, in, and I won't even get into all this, but in Hebrew culture, when they say a certain person, there's reference to the people in the area would know who he was speaking of. He was speaking of Adam. 
Adam goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. Here's the reason he uses Jerusalem. Jerusalem's called the city of peace. Everybody that would have understood in that day, Jerusalem is Jerusalem. It's the city of peace, okay? And he goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you study Judges chapter 6, you're going to find that when Joshua leads the group across and the city of Jericho fell, remember that the walls fell flat after they marched around so many times? Joshua makes a decree at the end of the chapter. You know what he says? He says, if anyone would, cursed is this city. And if anyone would rebuild this city, cursed would be his family, cursed would be his kin. This is the city of the curse. What did he just say? Adam was in the city of peace. And he fell into the city of the curse. How did it happen? He fell among thieves. Come on, who's the thief? The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. Everybody okay? Watch this. Fell among thieves. It's talking about the devil, right? And they stripped him of his raiment. What raiment? What was Adam clothed with in the garden before he fell? He was naked and not ashamed, right? Why? Because he was clothed with the glory of God. In Hebrew, the word is the kabod. It's the weighty presence of God. He was clothed in the kabod of God, God's kabod. The, the glory of the Lord was upon him. When he fell, what happened? The glory lifted. Now they were naked and they went and hid themselves. What God say? Who told you you were naked? Who remembers this? Come on. So what do you got? You got Adam who is in a place of perfect peace in the garden, but now he falls under the curse because the thief came and stripped him of his raiment. Everybody okay with that? Watch this. And they left him what? What's it say? Half dead. Ever wonder why it said half dead? Oh, he was just really bad wounded. No, he was spiritually dead, but physically alive. Oh, this is preaching now. Y'all follow what I just said? So now he's half dead. Okay, now watch this. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. The priest is Abraham. Okay, he's the man of covenant, right? And Abraham comes, okay, because he's got a covenant. And he came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Why? Because the covenant wasn't for all men. Remember that Abraham represented a Jewish covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham and all of his seed after him. If you weren't of the seed of Abraham, you weren't part of the covenant. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came, what did he tell his disciples? Who to go to first? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go by way of the Samaritans. Don't go by way of the Gentiles, but go rather where? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Because they were God's covenant people. It wasn't until after the resurrection that the covenant is now going to be extended to all men. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Judea, or Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and unto uttermost parts of the earth. You understand? Now the covenant's extended to all mankind. Remember that the Samaritan woman, the Syrophoenician woman, who came to Jesus because her daughter was grievously vexed with a devil, what did Jesus say to her? Come on, it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Did he say that? What was the children's bread? It was a covenant with the Jews. You're not a Jew, you're a Syrophoenician. She said, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. Just the crumb. <laughs> he says, oh my goodness, this is faith. I got to bless her. She reached out. This is so amazing, but she had faith to reach outside of a dispensation and grab a hold of a miracle and appropriate it into her day. Oh, boy, that'll preach. <laughs> Abraham represented, the, the, the priest is represented by Abraham. And the fact of the matter was he, he could look on them, but his covenant couldn't affect that man. Y'all follow what I just said? Now watch this. This is cool. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came 
and looked on him. See, Abraham saw him, couldn't do anything about it. Now the priest comes and looks on him, okay? Or the Levite, rather, comes and looks on him. It's the Levite. Because why? Because the Levites are the keepers of the law. What's the law? Moses. Moses represents the Levite. It's the law. Why does it say the law looked on him? Because the law could show us our sin. It just couldn't do us anything about it. It could show us what was wrong with us. See, Paul even writes this in Hebrews and says the law was good because it showed us that we had a place where we missed the mark. But it couldn't make any man perfect. The Levite here is Moses. The law is shown there. But it couldn't change a man's life because we couldn't keep the law. Everybody okay with what I just said? Take it a step further. So he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Oh, I love this. Come on, the Samaritan. What was the Samaritan? He was really half Jew and half Gentile. Let's see. You're either Jew or Gentile. This was half Jew and half Gentile. What's it mean? One man for every man. Come on. He's one man for every man. And he journeyed and came where the fallen man was. Come on. He journeyed and came where Adam fell. Oh, now I'm feeling it. Oh, it's going to be hard. <laughs> I'm so, I am so trying. But watch this. He came, and he, and he came to where Adam fell. And when he came to where Adam fell, he saw Adam fallen. He saw a fallen man. Come on, here's fallen man, and he sees fallen man. It, it, watch this. He journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him. Whew. Come on. We didn't find him. He found us. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to preach now. We didn't find him. He found us. See, I've had so many people come say, I found God. I said, he wasn't lost. You were. <laughs> come on. <laughs> he found him. Jesus shows up on the scene. Come on, the, Samar- the good Samaritan here is Christ. He's one man for every man. He came to where fallen man was. And when he came to where fallen man was, he brings a change has compassion on him, went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Come on. Oh, come on. The Spirit and the Word. What radically changed your life? The Spirit and the Word. The oil and the wine. Oh, the blood and the Spirit. There is so much here to this. But what he says is he pours in the oil and the wine. And it's the spirit and the blood of Jesus that makes our life completely different. Now watch this because this is so huge. And he set him on his own beast and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. What do you think the inn is? Come on, man. He established the church for this reason and purpose. For what? To take care of fallen man. Oh. There is such a depth to this when we understand what he's really saying. He's saying fallen man is all around you. Take care of fallen man. He brought him to the inn and he said he took care of him. Why? Because he stayed for a season. He took care of him. He stayed for a season. Okay? And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. This is so amazing to me. Two pence. A pence was a day's wages. Two days' wages. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day in the sight of the Lord. Boy, we could really get on that for a while, and I don't want to. <laughs> but he said, watch this. Can I, I don't know if I have a grace to get on this or not. 
She's given me grace. <laughs> but there's a place, and we've got to look at this and stop and think. He took out two pence. A pence was a day's wages, so he takes out two days' wages. And watch what he says. He gives it to the innkeeper, right? On the morrow, he took out two pence, and he gave them to the host, the innkeeper, and he said to him, take care of him. And whenever you spend more, if it takes a little more than two days, right? Okay? Okay? When I come again, I'll take care of it. I'll recompense you. I'll repay you. If a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, he said, I'll pay the wages for the next 2,000 years. And if it takes a little longer till I get back, you take care of business till I come. Oh, I feel it now. See, I get messed up with this stuff. I'm not, I'm not a projectionist. I don't, try to, I don't try to even go here. But I will tell you some things that I know is true. I know that from Adam to Abraham was 2,000 years. I know that from Abraham to Christ was 2,000 years. There's a reason for that. What I want you to understand is this, and this is kind of amazing to me. It, it, there's this, I'm sorry, from Adam, yeah, from Adam to Moses is 2,000 years. From Moses to Christ is 2,000 years. And from Christ to today is 2,000 years. When I read the creation, the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, what was the seventh day day of rest how long was that day if a day is is a thousand years thousand year millennial reign sounds like a day of rest i get excited over this so when he gives them two days wages i get excited that i think man maybe we are that close I'm not a projectionist, and I'm not trying to bring us to a place of fear or anything else. I'm not even trying to, listen, I, I, I felt pretty good about getting through March. I'm feeling pretty good about getting through October. Don't worry. Some of you understood that, okay? But here's where we're at, because there was a guy predicting the end of the world and all that stuff, okay? We're good till October 21st. I wish, oh, thank God. Okay, no, <laughs> never mind, okay? But when I read this, and I start to see this in light of what it was really saying, Adam fell, the law came. The, Abraham came with his covenant. Moses came with the law. It couldn't change fallen man until Jesus showed up. But when Jesus showed up, it changed everything about fallen man. And now fallen man's been taken where? To the church. The church has a responsibility to take care of fallen man. I mean, when you really want to define this, it shows you very clearly. So he takes them out and he says, listen, if it, if it takes a little longer, I'll repay you when I come. Which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor among him that fell among thieves? And he said to him, he that showed mercy, Jesus said, then go and do it. Go and take care of fallen man. Go and love on people. Go and love on everybody that you come in contact with. Go and take care of fallen man. See, man doesn't have a sickness problem. Man has a sin problem. It's up to you and I to change that. He said, go and do thou likewise. This so jumps on my heart. You've got everything you need to take care of fallen man. Everything. Remember that I said we're called to become love. God didn't call you just to love your church family. God didn't call you just to, we went for years, we became seclusionists. I don't know if everybody understands that or not, but we were pretty good about just having church in our own four walls, and we were pretty happy with that, and he's so breaking that mold. He is so breaking that mold, and we are so called to go out and make a difference everywhere that we go. I'm convinced this is such the will of God. See, I need to go here, and I didn't plan on going here at all, but Everything you need to live and walk in victory has been secured through the blood of Christ. I'm going to take you to another place that's 
It's one of my favorite things God showed me a while back. Go to 1 Samuel 17. I had no intention of going here, but Holy Spirit won't leave it alone. This is probably what I felt was one of the strongest revelations God ever gave me in the night. If you're familiar somewhat with 1 Samuel 17, then you're thinking, that's David and Goliath. It is David and Goliath. And how many know David won? <laughs> Yay! Okay. He kills Goliath. But if you read this, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, I just want to read parts of it. But I want to look into this. Goliath shows up on the scene, and what happens? All the Israelites are scared. Right? They're scared. Okay? I want to take you through. There's a couple of things. I guess I will go here. There's a couple of things that I really want to walk you through. When David shows up, he doesn't show up to fight in a battle. He shows up to bring his brethren some cheese and corn. Everybody okay with that? Yeah. And he shows up to do this, right? And when he does, this giant shows up. And, and he's like, I think nine foot nine or nine foot six. I have it written down somewhere, something like that. I think he's maybe nine foot nine inches tall. And he shows up on the scene. And when he does, he's incredibly intimidating. And he shouts out some threats. Who knows the story? Everybody in the room, everybody on the internet. They all, everybody knows this story. Shouts out threats. Choose you a man that he may fight for you. And if I prevail against him, you'll become our slaves. But if he prevails against you, we'll become your slaves. But I defy the armies of Israel. Choose you a man. Let him come and fight with me. And what happened? They all ran and hid. And David saw it. And he thinks, what's up with that? But there's something that happened right then. And I need to find the verse. Verse, verse 25. 1 Samuel 17, 25. 24 says, when, when all, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that's come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it'll be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches. Give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now in the King James, that's the way that reads. So let me tell you what that really means. He says, whoever kills this man, the first thing that's going to happen is the king's going to make him rich. Then he's going to give him the king's daughter to be married. He's going to give him his daughter to be married. What's that mean? That puts you in line for the kingdom. You just became a prince in the kingdom. And all of your lineage, your father's house, would be free from taxation. No more taxes will be paid. That ain't a bad deal. Come on, man. Because I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, sign me up. Where, where do I sign? Give me the dotted line, right? Come on. Okay, now watch what he says, okay? I believe at that point, a light went on. Because David spoke to the men that stood with him, that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine? Everybody see that? He's like, what did they just say? Ding! What did they just say? Okay? Okay? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defied the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this man of saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. What's that mean? That means they said again, you'll be enriched with great riches, married a king's daughter, and no more tax. What happened? Second time. See, somebody, somebody said, well, why did David kill Goliath? Because he defied the armies of the living God. I don't think so. I think David killed Goliath because he got a vision of the reward. Why do you say that? Read a little bit farther. Okay? Go up to, go up to verse 29 because he has a little argument with his brother. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? He turned from his brother. Okay? Just blew him completely off and spake after the same manner. What? He says, what would be done? 
to the man that kills this giant? And the people answered him again after the former manner. Oh, you'll be enriched with great riches, marry the king's daughter, and your father's house be free from tax. Did anybody notice that's three times now for David? He's like, come on, give me a stone. Everybody understand that? He got a vision of a reward. So he goes out on the battlefield. Now watch this. He understands when he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, what he's saying is a man with no covenant. He's really talking about a man with no covenant. You got no covenant, I got covenant. How many understand covenant is much better than no covenant? So a nine foot nine bully versus a young kid, but the young kid got covenant. Young kids got, got this thing whooped. He got no covenant, I'm in covenant. Like you're nine foot nine, but my God is bigger than that. <laughs> David's gonna go out on the battlefield because he understands first of all that he's in covenant, but he is going out on the battlefield. He's motivated by a vision of the reward. Everybody okay with that? I think sometimes it's okay to be motivated by a vision of the reward. I'm going to go love people because people's lives are going to be changed. But there's a part of me that causes me to want to go love people because it will please my God. I, I, so, I, I don't know what everybody's relationship with God's like. I know what mine's like. Because my relationship with God, God laughs. Me and God tell jokes. I, and you may think that's really twisted and weird and whatever. I'm going to tell you something. There are some times when I'll, I'll be praying, I'll just be talking to God, and I'll think of something funny. I'll tell him. Because I figure he already heard it. <laughs> it's like, you thought and it's over. He's got this one, right? Okay, it's like done. He already knows it anyway. And then I'll laugh, and I picture God laughing. See, I think God smiles. I think God laughs. I think God has a sense of humor. Why? Because I'm made in his image and likeness. I got one. I'll bet he's got one. I, we laugh all the time here at Harvest Chapel. We, I'll preach, they stop, and just carry on. And, and I love to do that. And here's the deal. I had a lady come to me early on in my ministry, and she was very upset that we would carry on like that in church. She was very indignant. Church is no place for laughing. And I thought that was the dumbest thing I ever heard. But see, she got baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> so, so she, she was just a sad woman <laughs> and she didn't but she, she just thought that was a terrible thing to me that's crazy I believe David was motivated with a vision of reward he didn't ever ask two more times after he heard it the first time you okay with that so David goes out and he kills the giant who knows he kills the giant with a sling and a stone Remember that he took five stones. And boy, there's a whole bunch you can preach here. He takes five stones. You know, Goliath had four brothers. I think everybody's pretty well heard that by now. Goliath has four brothers. I think that's why he took five stones in case the brothers showed up. One each. Makes sense for me. Do you know that he said they were smooth stones? He went down to Brook and he chose out five smooth stones. Let me tell you something. God never puts a word in his Bible just to fill up space. He said smooth stones for a reason. How did them stones get smooth? They were in the water. What was happening? Pressure. Constant pressure. Smoothed those stones. Why did he take smooth stones? Because they would fly aerodynamically perfect for the purpose for which, they, which David needed them. Do you understand what I just said? Sometimes when you're going through pressure, you need to understand something's taking off all the rough edges so God can use you for his purpose. 
Thank God, huh? Some of you just went, oh God, I knew there had to be a reason. <laughs> but you understand what I just said, right? It didn't say smooth stones just by, because they were looking for good words to put in the book. You know what I mean? God's got a lot of good words he can put in his book, okay? But here's the idea. David goes out on the battlefield to kill the, the, the giant. I'm not even certain when I read it in the, in the best translations that I can, whether he killed him with the stone or not. But I know that immediately after when the giant fell, David ran toward that giant. Yeah. Y'all know that, right? And he took the giant's sword and he cut off Goliath's head. Oh, I love that picture. He cut off the giant's head. What did he do with it afterward? He took it and he put it on a post. And they went to Jerusalem. Go to the end of the chapter. I don't even know where we're at right now. Watch this, 54, okay? And David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. He brought the head to Jerusalem. It was actually on a pole. They, this, was, this was not an uncommon practice. They, they would do it with kings and different ones. But because giant, Goliath was their giant, their warrior, they took his head, put it on a pole, and they actually parade through Jerusalem. It would have been like a ticker tape parade. I mean, they're, they're, they're shouting. They're throwing confetti. They're throwing babies in the air. And they're celebrating because what did Goliath say? Choose you a man that he'd come and fight with me. If he prevails over me, we'll be your slaves. They just realized, oh, we're not only free, now we got slaves. They're excited, they're happy, and they're celebrating what just went on. They're in Jerusalem, and there is a party in the house. This head of the giant is being paraded around on this, on a big stick, okay, on a pole. And that's what they would have done, okay? And that's amazing. Watch this. When Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I don't know. Okay? And the king said, inquire and find out who this boy is. So the stripling, he calls him a stripling in King James. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I'm the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Okay? Still got the head. If you know anything about Hebrew culture, I need to teach you some things that have come very, very important. They're at Jerusalem. Said so. Said they went to Jerusalem and they prayed it through Jerusalem with this head of Goliath. Now, once the head's decapitated from the body, it is now absolutely dead. There's no question as to whether it's dead or alive. It's a dead head, right? Anything that was dead, according to Hebrew culture, they have 24 hours to get it in the ground. You understand that? Yeah. So they're going to bury this head. They can't bury it within the city because inside the city walls it would be considered sacred, so they've got to go outside the city walls. To go outside the city the walls with the head, they've got to bury it somewhere, so they buried it outside the city. And according to what we could understand, nobody seems to know where they might have buried that. I'm going to tell you, I think I know. Okay? Remember that this giant's name was Goliath. And Goliath was from a town called Gath. And they buried his head. I believe it was Golgotha. Goliath of Gath. Because Golgotha is called the place of the skull. Follow with me. Because a thousand years later, there would one who would come called the son of David. Oh, it's really hard now. <laughs> 
But a thousand years later, one called the son of David would live a spotless and sinless life. But on that same hill, they would take him and they would put him on a cross and his blood would flow over Golgotha. The blood would cover the place of the skull. Goliath represented everything that Satan could throw at the Israelites. He represented intimidation and fear. He represented sin. He represented destruction. He represented, he represented bondage because he wanted to bring them into bondage. He represented everything that Satan would represent. That's what Goliath represented. But now David would defeat Goliath the giant and would put his head at a place called Golgotha. And now the son of David would cover it with his blood. What's that say? That tells me that you and I, everything you need to live and walk in victory, everything you need to live a life that defeats Satan on every turn is now purchased and paid for by the blood of the son of David. It has covered everything that the the enemy could throw at you. You are so covered. You are so equipped. Everything that you need to live and walk in complete victory. You say, I can't love that lady. She's like the meanest lady ever. I got news for you. Yes, you can. And the reason I know you can is because the blood has it covered. (sighs) See, when Jesus tells us the parable of the good Samaritan, what he's telling us is you got the power to go and love your neighbor because I'm going to shed my blood and everything that the enemy threw at you is now covered by the blood. That's so powerful in my heart. That speaks volumes to me. There's a place where you and I can live in such victory. I can tell you something. I've had these people come to me time after time after time and they tell me, well, you know, pastor, we all sin a little every day. I hate that. I'm so convinced that I'm a son and I never have to sin. I have a pet peeve. Y'all have pet peeves? Right? Who's ever heard of, uh, um, Marv Rosenthal used to have it. It's called the Holy Land Experience. It's a a theme park in Florida, down near Disney. Y'all familiar with that at all? Anybody ever been there? Holy Land Experience? It's like amazing. You should go. It's absolutely phenomenal. It portrays the life of Christ in drama, but it's all day long. It's an outside park thing, and they they have little dramas, little plays going on all day long, and it's amazing. So we're there. I take my family all there uh, because we were down in Florida. I said, I'm going to go see this place. And it's like you walk into the marketplace. It's like you're walking in to the year 30 AD. Y'all okay with that? And they're selling stuff everywhere, and it's all kind of, it's just amazing. It's absolutely phenomenal. And there's actually a place called the Scriptorium that, because I'm a Bible man, I'm a word man. I mean, they got, oh my gosh, amazing stuff there. Bibles from way back in the Gutenberg Press and all the kind of stuff. It looks like amazing stuff there. I mean, absolutely amazing. If you're a word man, you just got to go see that Scriptorium. It's, it's phenomenal. But anyway, uh, and you walk, it's a walking tour. You walk through the whole place. It's really, really cool. But anyway, in the process, there's about 3,000 people there, and they get them all together in the center, and they bring this historian out to talk to them. And I'm sitting there, my daughter's right beside me, Nicole, and we're sitting there, and the guy starts out with this. He starts out, well, we'd like to welcome you here. We thank you for coming and being with us. You know, we're here today by the grace of God, because really when it comes down to it, we're all just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. And I went, I have a pet peeve. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a son. I was a sinner, and then I died. <laughs> now there's just dead. And over here, I'm a son. I, I went down a sinner. I came up a saint. 
Now, you might not think that way, but I promise you it's the word. It's absolutely true. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. And that's my pet peeve when people say that. So this man, there's 3,000 people there, and he says, we're all just sinners saved by grace. And I stood up, and my daughter grabbed me. No, Dad, no. <laughs> I'm like, I go to stop him right now. She says, no, Daddy, please, no, you can't do this. I said, there's 3,000 people. I can teach them. She said, you're not allowed. They'll throw you out. They'll throw us all out. <laughs> She's wigging out on me. I'm like, no, I got to. It's killing me. See, <laughs> we all have our things, right? My mother-in-law at the funeral for my mother-in-law, I did the funeral and her, her local pastor is there and, and they were kind of talking. People were just talking, telling some stories. And one of the, there was a, like a 90 year old lady there because my mother-in-law was 88 and she knew mom most of her life. And she started talking about her days before Christ. And, and, and the, her pastor's a very good friend of mine. His name's Bobby. As a matter of fact, he's BJ's dad and just a really, really neat guy. But uh, he, he said, see, there's just proof that we're, just, we're all just sinners saved by grace. And I looked at my wife. She said, not now. <laughs> when I see this, you got to understand something. There is so much in you and it's birthed in you. Do you understand? When I read the parable of the Good Samaritan, what Jesus is telling me is, I have an opportunity to impact the world around me by loving people. And the reason I can do that is, he shed his blood to destroy all the works of the devil. Everybody okay with that? Because that is so impactful. I'm going to tell you something. There's nobody on the planet that you don't have the ability to love. Isn't that amazing? There's nobody on this planet that you don't have the ability to love. You can love everybody. There's absolutely nobody that you have to... Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when you stop and think about it and you look at your life, you're thinking, man, there's some people that you don't know, preacher, because if you knew them, you wouldn't love them either. I got to tell you something. There's nobody that you can't love. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this. You have the right to love anybody, to, to not love anybody that God doesn't love. Outside of that, you're, you know, <laughs> love everybody else. But if you find somebody that God doesn't love, you don't have to love them. We'll just leave it at that. Okay? Yeah, if you're going to look and say, well, God doesn't even love them, then you're clear. But you have to be able to say that with an honest heart. And I'll bet you can't. Because <laughs> we're called to love everybody he loves. You okay with that? Go back to 1 John. We're going to chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 4 of John 4. 1 John 4. 1 John 4 and 4. I know where I'm at. <laughs> you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. It's really time we started believing that. It's really, started, it's really time that we started really believing that. The greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Because i got to tell you something. I just, I'm so convinced. Can I say this? Here in the local church, a lot of times what we'll do, we'll have people join hands together to pray. I'll say, join hands with somebody close to you. Man, I feel God in the house. And, and I'll just do that. And I'll, everybody's joining hands. And I've had people say, well, I don't know about that person next to me if I want to join hands with them. We get so wigged out by stupid stuff. You just really got to believe that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm telling you, man. Can I tell you a neat story? Pastoring in Allentown, when I still didn't know anywhere near what I knew, what I know now, but I had enough known that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And while I was in Allentown, um, 
the church was downtown, and it was in a rough area. Uh, it, was, it was in a rough area. But you'd go down one turn, you'd make a left on 9th Street. And when you went left on 9th Street, and we're just a couple blocks away, um, there was a satanic bookstore. And it said on the thing, satanic bookstore. Wow. I've never been in a satanic bookstore. But I thought, I want to go in there. And then there's another part of me says, I don't want to go in there. <laughs> Then there's a part of me saying, I want to go in there. And then I'm this head battle for a while. I thought, so one day I was driving a van, and I, I, I was driving at the time, and I had a drive-on van there, and I just parked in front of it. I thought, I'm going in there. So I went in. Nobody else was in the place except the guy behind the counter. He's got long hair, long black fingernails. They're painted black. He's got a goatee beard thing going right here. And he looks like he belongs there. I think he was the owner. I think he might have been the devil. I don't know. It was was weird. And when you walked in, you knew you were walking into enemy territory. It was like no doubt about it. Anybody ever been in a satanic bookstore? couple of you have. I went to this. I was, there's, there's showcases and they got satanic Bibles in them and there's books and stuff all over the place. And, and there were some names that I had recognized that I knew had been part of that. Um, Aleister Crowley, some different things like that. Uh, but they had daggers and, all, and there was incense burning in the place. There was incense burning and they had lots of incense things and burners and different things around, but they were burning some incense. And there were lots of knives, ceremonial knives and daggers and all kinds of stuff in there. And I'm walking around looking and the guy's watching me. And you could feel like his eyes were piercing you. And I'm like, because <clears throat> this is fun for me now. I decided I might as well just make it fun. And he said, can I help you? And he said it like that. I'm like, <laughs> I said, nope, just looking around. (laughs) So I thought, I am so not going to let you intimidate me. Do you understand that that's what was defeated when David took out Goliath? He said, I'm so not going to let you intimidate me. Do you understand that we've been intimidated by stuff that we should have never allowed to intimidate us? Let me give you a phrase that I live with. Anything that you fail to dominate will dominate you. Do you understand what I just said? Anything you fail to dominate will dominate you. I refuse to be intimidated. I had a couple that I was doing some premarital counseling with. I have a lot of people that ask me, will you do our wedding? Will you do our wedding? I never answer that. I'll say, well, I'll sit and talk with you first because I won't do everybody's wedding. So I had this young couple that came to me and they had a baby, so they felt like they were supposed to get married. And how many know that's the worst reason for getting married? That's not even a reason for getting married. But they, 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 they had a baby, they were getting married. So what happened was they came to me and they said, um, we sat down and we talked. And they got a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges in their life, lots of challenges. I said, you know what, we need to meet again. Met with them the second time. And I said, you know what, we need to meet again. Because I wasn't feeling comfortable with their wedding. They're in the meantime making plans. They have now written up, uh, they got got printed uh, invitations. They've rented a hall. They've made lots of plans. And they came to meet with me the third time. And before they got to meet with me the third time, the boy called me. And he was really bent out of shape. And he was very upset. And he had torn, they, they, they had been living in a trailer together. He had now moved back in with his parents because I, I just feel like they, they can't be living together and want me to. You can't ask God to come and bless sin. Right. I'll just leave that at that. So anyway, in the process of that, he's living at home with mom and dad, but he's still there all the time. And they got into a fight. He tore the door off the hinges. He punched holes in the wall. And you know, this is just a volatile relationship. It is not good. And I told him, there's no way I can do your wedding. I said, we need to meet and talk about this, but there's no way I'm not doing it. So when we get there, her mother shows up. 
and her mother is going to tell me. <laughs> and she had, uh, can I say attitude with a capital A? Y'all following what I'm saying? She come to me and she said, well, I hear you're not going to do their wedding. I'm going to tell you right now. We've printed out invitations. We've paid for money for the hall. We can't get our money back and you have to do their wedding. I love when people tell me I have to do something because that's all the more reason to dig my feet in. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Okay. And she, I mean, she got right here in my face and I started to laugh. Do you know when somebody's really mad and yelling and you start to laugh, that doesn't help. <laughs> I did exactly, I did just like that right there. And she looked at me. I said, honey, I'm sorry. I said, if I'm supposed to be intimidated, I'm just no good at it anymore. <laughs> I'm not even sure I remember how, (laughs) but there's no way that I'm going to violate my heart and do this wedding because ultimately I've got to answer to God. Now, I believe that God doesn't want me to do this wedding and you do, and I have to make one of you upset and it's not looking good for you today. (laughs) Do y'all understand that? If I got to make her happy or God happy, it's just not a good day for her. Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm convinced every day I want to make God happy. Ultimately, it comes down to this. All this stuff is defeated, and you have a place where you can live and walk in complete victory every day. Everything that you need to love people, everything that you need to walk in victory. What did Jesus ultimately say? Love God and love people. Can I say that it really comes down to that? Loving God and loving people. You're being equipped in the school for the next 13 weeks, or for you've committed 13 weeks for that with one purpose in mind, that you would better learn how to love God and love people. That's really what it comes down to. Ultimately, if I had to sum this whole thing up, it's all about identity. What's my identity? I want to be a leaky lover of God. I want to love God and love people. If I can get that part right, the rest will fall in line. Because I can tell you something. All the theology, can I say that? There's a whole lot of guys out there that know a whole lot more than I do. I know that. There's a whole lot of guys that can do it a whole lot better than I can. I can tell you something. I'm convinced if I can love God and love people, that's really what matters. And I'll make an impact everywhere I go because I love God and love people. You okay with that? I'm not, please don't hear it wrong. I'm not saying don't get educated. I'm telling you, you're here. Get as much as you can. Get everything you possibly can. Let's learn what this thing's supposed to look like. But ultimately, it looks like this. Love God and love people. Y'all follow what I just said? Everything that you're learning, everything that you're getting comes down to that. And if you, if you can catch this, the idea is that I gotta, I gotta, do you ever have somebody tell you they love you and you knew they were like they didn't mean it? You know, I get that. I don't want to say this the wrong way. I don't, I don't even want to say I get it a lot. I get it fairly often where people go, I love you, pastor. And in my mind, there's this voice back there going, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> like you can't say that, but you're like, liar, 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 liar. You know? Because when somebody really loves you, you know it. When somebody really loves you, my dad taught me as a man, when you shake somebody's hand, shake their hand. Who hates that dead fish handshake? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Here. <laughs> it's like, whack. <laughs> See, she can shake my right hand. It's okay. I'm left-handed. Whack. <laughs> but ultimately, that whole dead fish. See, if, if, if you're going to love somebody... You, they're going to know if you love them or not. You don't have to constantly tell them all the time. They're going to know it. 
how the couple was doing the 50th anniversary. And it was a great celebration. People were just really celebrating. It was an amazing thing. And the wife looked extremely sad. And her husband was just carrying on with some of the guys and whatever. And the wife looked extremely sad. So in, in, in a little time, I said to her, I said, honey, what's wrong? Are you okay? She said, I know it's our 50th anniversary. But I don't know if he loves me. I said, really? She said, I don't know if he really loves me or not. And I said, really? She said, he acts like he does, but he never tells me. She says, as a matter of fact, I can't remember the last time he told me. And he heard our conversation. He looked over and said, honey, 20 years ago, I told you I love you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. I told you then. <laughs> Hasn't changed. What he was saying to her was, I have lived my life to tell you I love you. I want to say it this way. Words are cheap. But sometimes you've got to tell people you love them. I don't want to take away from that. I tell you, there's not a day I don't tell my wife I love her. My kids the same way. If you know my daughter, Nicole, she'll never leave the auditorium or the house or anywhere that I am. Till she walks over, she'll lean her head forward because I've kissed her on the forehead every time we've parted since she was a little tiny girl. That's never changed. And I'm 51 and she's 30. My kids know I love them. My family knows I love them. Most people that know me know I love them. I'm a lover of people. God's called me to love people. It's okay. I'm good with it. I enjoy it. It's a great privilege that we have because we're full of love. How can you not love people? But ultimately, it comes down to this is we've got to live the life that says I love you, not just say the words I love you. Because I think the church said I love you to the world, but we haven't always lived it. You okay with that, what I just said? I'd much rather you lived it and not said it than said it and not lived it. That's what I was really, that whole story was around that idea. I want to live it, not just say it. I think saying it's okay, but let's live it and say it, not just say it. We've got to walk this thing out, man. We're called to walk in love. It is so much a love walk that that's so the will of God, the plan of God, and the purpose of heaven. So with all that thoughts in mind, and I'll just take us here for just a minute. Let's go to 1 John 4 again. Okay, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knows God hears us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What did he just say? He said a lot of times the world's not going to understand what's going on in you. The world's not always going to understand what God's doing in your life. But that's okay. Because ultimately, here's the deal. I'll say it this way. God's not the only one who has a plan for your life. Everyone has a plan for your life. If you have parents, they have a plan for your life. <laughs> Remember me telling you a story about Kim Twentier and how the fact she was blown away that Lori and I got married and we were over here? Kim Twentier was part of the Catholic church that I grew up in. Okay? Now, my mom, very, very strict Catholic, very strong Catholic, she had the idea that I was going to grow up, marry a little Catholic girl, or I was going to be a priest. It was one or the other. But that was the only two options. You had no other option. So when I met this little Pentecostal girl, and I started falling in love with her and going to her Pentecostal church, got born again, my mother wigged out. She did not take that well at all. 
Matter of fact, I was living at home with her. My dad had ran off when I was 10. That's a whole other story, and I'll get into that some other day. But mom was there, and mom's screaming in my face saying, if you're going to live under my roof, you're going to go to my church. Why? Because the Catholic roots were that deep, and I'm not taking away from that, but just here where I'm at, the fact of the matter was is that I didn't feel like that's what God's plan for my life was. But how many know mom's plan for my life and God's plan for my life look different? Y'all follow that? I said, Mom, I've given my life to Jesus. I, I, I really feel like that's what God wants me to do. She said, if you're going to live under my roof, you're going to go to my church. She was very tough. A tough mom. She's a great mom, but she's tough. I said, well, mom, what do you want me to do? Move out? If you're going to live under my roof, you're going to go to my church. <laughs> she kept saying the same thing. I said, fine, I'll move out. So I moved out. Mom had a plan for my life, and I wasn't following her plan. Y'all follow what I just said? How many know? All along through life, somebody's going to have a plan for your life. Your best friend will have a plan for your life. Who's ever had a best friend who didn't like your boyfriend or your girlfriend? And all of a sudden, they're telling you, you can't marry them. But maybe God's telling you to marry them. Or maybe you're going through, and, and, and can I, you wouldn't believe how many people come into my office to tell me what we as a church should be doing. And they've never pastored. <laughs> and, and I do that a lot. How many years experience do you have pastoring? Well, I've never pastored. Then shut up. No, no, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. I, and I don't ever say that. But, but watch this. Everybody's got a plan for something in your life. Sunday morning, I preached right here. You have the right and privilege as a child of God to hear from God. And every one of us needs to be discerning the voice of God for our life. Y'all follow that? When I read this, what I'm reading here, and, and I say this, the world's not always going to understand. Even your best friends, and they may be born again, but they might not understand what God's doing with you. But ultimately, you've got to discern what is God saying to you in this moment. Because when you stand before God, when I stand before God, and God says, why didn't you do this? I said, it's Kira's fault. She told me not to. <laughs> Kira did it. Yeah, yeah. When she was 15 years old, she came and told me, don't do that. And I believed her because I know she's spiritual. And God is going to strike Kira with lightning. No, no, that's not true. Okay, okay. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, can I say this? God's not holding Kira responsible for me. God's holding me responsible for me. God's holding you responsible for you. So Kira's in the clear. Good news. Okay. Ultimately, watch this. Okay? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. Isn't that an amazing verse? Like, these are amazing verses. Beloved, let us love one another. As a matter of fact, can I tell you that John, in chapter 13, defines what the church should look like? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How are they going to know? Because you have love one for another. And how are they going to know you have love for one another? Not because you're saying it, but because you're living it. I am becoming love. How's that happening? He surrounded me with people. And some are lovely. Catch the word some. <laughs> And we realize that. Come on. That's what stretches us. It's the sandpaper people that take your rough edges off. That's a word. <laughs> Do you follow what I'm saying? For love is of God and God is love. That's so cool. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. He revealed his love because he sent his only begotten son into the world. 
that we might live. Catch this word. I got it underlined. Through him. How many heard Pastor Dan talking about this? Has he touched on this some? There's a difference between living for him and living through him. Can I tell you, for years as a pastor, I lived for him. As a pastor for years. I say this, I've, I've learned so much more about what I've done wrong than about what I've done right. But I'm turning, I'm changing now. There's things, I've made so many mistakes, I'm getting really smart. Okay, but here's where we're at. There's a difference. I live for him. Uh, can I say I was performance-based? Were most of you performance-based at one time in your life? Like you got up and you knew if I did this, 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 and this, God was going to be pleased. But if I missed it, boy, was I in trouble. Like you went to bed at night and you didn't read your Bible. So now all of a sudden you've got to climb out of bed because Lord forbid that I'd go to bed and God would be mad because I didn't read a chapter today. Come on, have you beat yourself up and done some of that? Do you understand that that's all performance-based? Come on, I got into Larry Lay's book that said, could you not tarry one hour? Some of you might be familiar with that book. It's a pretty good book, actually, but it really challenged the church to spend an hour a day in prayer. So you know what I did? I got an egg timer. Why? Because I wanted to make sure I was praying an hour. So I came over into the church, and I set my egg timer. I was in Battle Creek at the time. I set my little egg timer for 60 minutes, and I got into prayer. And I don't know, but back then, I prayed the same way I sometimes preach. And I'm like, oh, God, I knew you loved me. Oh, God, I thank you that you love us. You know, I mean, it's just always wound up and stomping, snorting. And I'm, I'm about wore out. I looked at the egg timer, and it was only like 15 minutes. I thought, oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm going to have a cardiac arrest if I keep this up. I'm going to have prayer meeting and healing service at the same time. <laughs> you can't live like that. But I had this whole thing figured out. Why? Because it was all performance-based. That's what he's simply telling us is this ain't a performance-based thing. It's not like God has a checklist and today you get a star. I got news for you. You got a star. His name is Jesus. Come on. It's a five-pointed one. Yeah, that'd work. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Do you understand where I'm at? It can't be just performance-based. We're living through him, not for him. And that is so important that we get this. I just, I can't live by the checklist anymore. Once you get free from the checklist, man, is life great. I love it. I love living through him because when you live through him, you're not in control. I had a, I had a woman, that we, we'd had a pretty radical service, and she said, Pastor, I'm afraid this place is getting out of control. I said, thank God. <laughs> I'm so happy. Thanks for telling me. Yay! <laughs> she meant it in a bad way. I took it great. <laughs> I so don't want to be in control. If you're in control, you've got to keep everything going. If you're not in control, he has to keep everything going. I'm so much better with him than me. I've done it the other way. I tell you, you run around, you stress, your hair falls out. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, if we just let him be in control, he's got it covered. <laughs> Man, are you a control freak? It's not about us being in control. It's about him being in control. Okay, we've been delivered. Okay, but but here's the deal. That's what's really really cool. That's it. Come on, come on. That's it. Yeah. It's so cool that we understand we're living through him, not for him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I love this verse. Because what he just said is, it's not that we love God. God loved us when we didn't deserve to be loved. 
when I wasn't living for him, when I had no clue of my identity, when I didn't understand sonship, when I was just totally and completely selfishly living for me, God still loved me. And he said, that's the way we ought to love other people when they don't deserve it. What a challenge. Think about the people in your life who don't deserve your love and then go love the hell out of them. That's a good word. Don't take that the wrong way. You understand exactly what I was just saying. Please don't take that the wrong way. I'm never going there again. He cusses. No, that's not what I'm saying. Saying hell's got a hold of them. And if we'll love them, that's the only thing. The only hope they have is that you'll love them. You know what we've done? We've had, we've had people that have lived in a hellish lifestyle come into our doors and we all but chased them out. We can't have any of that in here. <laughs> what, what hope did they have? Several years ago, I went to an event down in Florida and uh, it, they, it was in a ball field. It was a pretty major thing going on and there was prayers going on and, and they were saying, come down for prayer and whatever. And I watched a guy that had green spikes in his hair big tall ones had a mohawk that was spiked and colored green and he's out there praying for people and I'm watching God flow through him and it's pretty neat because people are getting racked and I started to laugh because the Lord said to me right then 10 years ago you'd have never let him touch you <laughs> and he was right <laughs> I'd have been down there praying for God to deliver him from his green hair and spikes and tattoos because <laughs> you knew he couldn't have been saved and look like that because we lived in that arena I'm going to tell you something God is so cool that he's doing things like this we're, we're going to get so wrecked it's so fun because people are going to come through our doors who don't look like us smell like us think like us talk like us and we're going to be challenged to love them and you better because if you can't shame on you that means you spent 13 weeks and got nothing oh that was good right there because ultimately the proof's in the pudding right? It's just pretty amazing to me. But God's doing cool stuff and challenging us to love everybody. That is just so cool to me. I get excited about it. So here it is. We're living through him, okay? Not that, we lo- not, to, not that we love God, but he loved us, okay? If God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected, completed, matured, in our lives. Isn't that amazing? Like I get, here's the test. What's your love meter reading? The test is, is, is really, it's an ultimate test. What are you reading on your love meter? If we only love the people that love us, shame on us. Because Jesus said, even the tax collectors will do that. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, and I'll walk you through this in closing, just take you through this real quick. But we began to read, beloved, now are we the sons of God. If we're the sons of God, how are we going to show that? We're going to love people. So we go flipping over to the, the parable of the great Samaritan, and I hope that you never see it the same way that you used to. Because it'll rock your world when you understand that Jesus will simply challenge us through that. Be like him and love people. He trusted the church with fallen man. That's what he did. He said, will you love them? Don't just pass them by. Don't just point out their sin. Come on. The covenant people passed by those who weren't in covenant. And the law just pointed out sin. 
But he said, would you actually go to them and do what I've done and love them even if they don't deserve it? Everything you need to love them has been fulfilled because Golgotha has come and he shed his blood. So everything Satan can throw at you is now covered. And you have the right to walk as children of love. That's an amazing day. Do you understand what he calls us to? It's a good day when we walk out love. I am so convinced that he's making his bride beautiful again. We're going to become love. Do you know what I read in Ephesians chapter 5? That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I think he's raising up a beautiful bride. I got to tell you something. The world hasn't seen us as a beautiful bride. They're not beating down our doors to get here. (laughs) And it's not their fault. But we're changing that. We're changing that. One life at a time, we're changing that. God, teach us what it looks like to really become love. Because that's what we're called to. Once you bow your head and close your eyes, I want to pray for you. Father, I so thank you. I thank you that you're amazing and you live in us. That makes us amazing. We're amazing because you're in us. God, I thank you. And because you're love, we have the ability to love people because you're in us. And if you're in us, I'm convinced you want to leak. So, God, I'm asking you to come and leak out of us and touch everybody around us. We are so convicted in our hearts right now to become love, to become more and more of what you want us to look like, to be the body of Christ, to be the beautiful bride that you've created, to be the people, God, that you've called. I'm asking you, Heavenly Father, just come in an amazing way. Teach us what love looks like. Help us to walk in that, that we would so become what you want us to be. Father, we welcome you right now. Just come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill every one of us more and more and more. I want to overflow. God, I believe that you fill our cup for us, but you bless the saucer for those around us. Let the cup overflow. Let the cup overflow. Let the cup overflow. God, that we would minister out of the overflow of our cup because we walk with a full cup. Uh, God, that we would just leak everywhere that we go, that we would see such a transformation in the people around us because of the love that's in us, because of what you've called us to. Teach us to walk this out and help us to really become the people, the bride, that you've called for yourself. Father, we just say thank you for loving us. Give us now, Lord, the capacity to love others around us in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thanks for hanging with us today. Bless you guys. Amen.